call yourselves men? I see no manhood between your legs. You bastard German. It is clear to see your blood is tainted. That is not the build of a true Aryan. Size is not everything, Commandant. You think not? We shall see. Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Second Ron. Yes, you're listening to Synchronon. The Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your hosts, Steve Simon. Hello, I'm Kate Rambo. Kate Rambo. Have, uh, yes. have you seen the Night Stalker documentary on the YouTube? Or no, I, it's on the Netflix. On the Netflix. On the, the Netflix. I highly disapprove of all Netflix's terribly produced documentaries. I, why do I need to watch that? Why do I need to spend six hours watching that? I'd rather read a book and then watch Dead Book knock it out the park within like 20 minutes. Spoken. Must say Dead Book has done a Night Stalker doc. That is very, very good. Spoken by a true crime snob right there. There's some I, true yes, crime snobbery going because on. Because let me tell you UK. something. I want to know the full facts. I want to know all about the ass fucking. And I want to see pictures of the ass fucking. If there are pictures of the ass fucking available. Deadbug can put it in and nobody complains. Netflix, which, you know, I pay for it. I want to see pictures of the dead ladies that have been ass fucked. Not allowed. <laughs> So why would I True watch crime that? snob. No, you know what? Well, <laughs> I think you see the other dimension. I agree with you on that. Like that—that that was my main criticism of the Night Stalker doc. He was only in it in the last episode. It was only four, thankfully, not mm-hmm. like ten. You know, Still ten episodes. Four hours I hate of that. your life, isn't it? Man? But, but you know, the, he was only in the fourth episode, and so I kind of was like, you know, I wish they would give more detail about Rick Ramirez. However, what they did do well is they really did set the seed, the, the, like the setting, the milieu of, mm. of L.A. at the time, and they had all this great footage of Los Angeles in the 80s during that whole period. Um, they interviewed victims, all the victims. Um, mm-hmm. They interviewed the cops that were involved. So you had, like, direct eyewitness accounts, and they did show some. They, they actually they showed most of the murder victims, so they, they did have graphic detail. But I think the thing I liked about it for the most is that the way they captured like the uh, the spirit of L.A. during that period. And mm-hmm. so um, I watched it. I, mean, I was watching it this week. And then on Thursday at my work, we're, we have – I'm in meetings all fucking day on Zoom. That's pretty much what I do all day. And so uh, we had to wait for this one producer guy to show up and because uh, you can start the meeting without that guy. And uh, so we're waiting. And so while we were waiting, they were talking about the Golden State Killer – um, documentary and so then I brought up oh have you guys seen the Night Stalker and two of the producers two of the other producers that work there yeah um, are older but they grew up in LA and uh one of them was like oh yeah she's like I watched it I thought it was overproduced you know like most Netflix docs she's like however um she's like it it made me just think back on that time and I was like oh really she's like yeah I was in my teens and she goes and it fucking sucked I was like what do you mean she's like you think lockdown now sucks She's like, there, you're locked down because you're terrified that a motherfucker is going to come through your window, rape your kids, and uh, murder you. 
She's mm-hmm. like, so she goes, all our, she goes, we weren't allowed to even leave our house after 7 p.m. She's like, my mom would come pick me up at school. And you're pretty much just stuck in the house. And she's like, and the worst part, she's like, you know, my family didn't have AC. You know, we didn't have like, uh, you know, we weren't like upper class or whatever. And she's like, so, you know, um, we had to lock all of our, our windows and, you, <clears throat> and it's like 115 degrees outside and you got your windows locked. All night, all day, because you couldn't open them because, you know, Ramirez is an opportunistic killer. I mean, that guy probably tried six houses in a row, found an open window, and was like, I'm going to go kill these people. I think that's what kind of this COVID lockdown needs now. We need a killer. A a killer? We need a killer coming (laughs) along, just like spicing things up a bit. Well, he'll know everybody's at home. The the one thing Mm. I always... I mean, I guess uh, Ramirez went, you know, and through the cloak of night, snuck in, and kind of surprises victims. But I mean, you gotta have some balls to creep, go into someone's home. I mean, I don't know how many, what, six in 10 Americans have guns? Yeah. And he went into a point. couple well, deputies' homes that had remember guns. He did sh- yeah, he shot, uh, shot that couple as they were trying to shoot him with their shotgun. Yeah, I mean, uh, th- like he obviously didn't give a shit about the, you know his the own murder safety. that always makes me laugh is like that the really old woman and her son was like please please lock your windows and your doors and the mum was like the old lady was like no i believe in the good of people and <laughs> <Yeah>. that night <laughs> ass fucked by ramirez yeah well, ramirez, your door, you old bitch yeah what are yeah. the uh they had some um i guess one of the witnesses at, at the trial she was just like i was like please jesus Help me. And he like slaps. He's like, say, please, Satan. <laughs> to be fair, I'd have been into that. That sounds like a lot like my, uh, my courtships. Do you think he was the embodiment of evil? Um, I think there are definitely eviler people than Richard Ramirez. There's different degrees but he was of a, evil. He was a predator, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. He loved to drive, that guy. He loved driving. I think yeah. driving, murder... Ass fucking geriatrics and driving. They're his free things that he just like loves to do the most. But the thing is, yeah, I mean, he was very, he was extremely versatile. Like he uh, raped kids, mm-hmm. raped old people. You know, he didn't rape men, but he murdered all the men. Oh yeah, he's not gay. That's yeah. where he draws the line. <laughs> not the, gay. The thing is, but the thing I, did, I didn't get about this guy, it's like, at what point does like porn just doesn't cut it for him? Like now yeah. I got to go rape pensioners. And, he wants uh, the old you know, gristle. He doesn't then, want prime beef. He wants old gristle. Yeah, I mean, it must be. Uh, one of my, I, I guess one of the more fascinating parts of the documentary is that the, so in the fourth episode when they actually reveal, you know, uh, who the killer is. Um, <gasps> they, who was it? <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, spoiler alert. Um, they're in the trial and they show a lot of footage from the trial. And so this was like probably, what, 1989? I kind of yes. remember this too because we had just moved back we moved back that year right before 1990 i think we moved back like october of 89 and it was such a big deal because it was all over the news mm-hmm. and i you know i think i had heard of manson but i was young but i remember just kind of following the story because it was kind of interesting and plus all the pictures you know the picture yeah. of the, the iconic photo of him with a pentagram on his hand oh but yes hello what was interesting in the documentary they show all these goth sluts that show up in his trial. Like all these like, you know, they all have, like they're all wearing all black and they got like blonde teased up eighties hair. And they're just fawning over this violent serial killer, child and pensioner rapist. Mm-hmm. Which is just with really bad teeth as well. Oh god, he had terrible teeth. And, they, and he they, had BO. He yeah, stank. they said he smelled like a goat. 
<laughs> he smelled like a goat. Yeah, that's what but several police officers like. Oh yeah, that guy smelled. Ooh, smelled. Do you the not room. think that's an insult to goats? Should we give a goat her that? It'd be like, hey, buddy, I smell great. I wonder if that was intentional to be like close, you know, like Satan. Like, oh yeah, that could be like. Yeah, I wonder if yeah. that was that was it. But mm. so I was wondering about it. I'm like, what do you think? You know, these people, these women, these admirers, obviously know who this man is, what he's done, and yes. yet they still show up. What? Why? Like, what? What do, what do you think the attraction is? And I put a lot of thought into this. It's mm. it's the forbidden fantasy, the verboten. Of course. You know, this uh, subversive indulgence in the ultimate evil, as a form of eroticism. You know, they're like getting off on like this guy who's so evil. And, but the, the weirdest thing about it, it's like you, you sexualize this guy, but look at that fucking grill. Look at those teeth. Yeah. You see his smile? If, if his last name wasn't Ramirez, I would have thought he was British. Oh, you know? David. <laughs> That's a cheap shot at us. Can't help it. Running joke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, anyway, getting back to. Uh, to uh, the forbidden fantasy of Richard Ramirez and the uh, the, you know, the subversive um, eroticism of that guy, it's very similar. Drawing a parallel here to the mm-hmm. topic of the show, to the pornographic appeal of Nazi iconography. You look at the people, you know, fetishize Nazis, and it's that it's whole forbidden, forbidden fantasy, especially in like the S and M world. It's like the uh, you know the evil Nazi dominatrix in the SS outfit with the riding crop and the black leather boots. It's yeah. it's it's really strange to look into that. And uh, so anyway, this uh, this topic was actually suggested by a listener, uh, a guy named well his email address named Fugel. Uh, like a lot of people that email the show, they never actually use their names. It's like make a pseudonym up. You know who cares. You think uh, D. Simon's ashamed. my real name? I think they're yeah. just ashamed. Even the pseudonym <laughs> is too close for people to reveal. It's too close to my identity. Anyway, mm. this guy wrote in and suggested this topic of uh, Stalags, um, Stalagim, which is a short-lived genre of Nazi exploitation, like Holocaust porn books. Like these are like books, you know, uh, erotic fiction of, um, of, uh, of, of death camps. And what happened in these death camps? And the weird thing about it, these books flourished in Israel in like uh, late oh. 1950s, early 1960s. A very short-lived time. I mean, they only lasted a few years before like Israeli censors shut it down. But very popular in Israel and written by Israelis. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so they're taking the power back. In a sense. I mean, we're going to get to that. Mm. Like, what, why the appeal of this forbidden fantasy um, but during my research, uh, you know, it's not only just, you know, they're the Stalags, which were the, the literature, you know, the, uh, the books, the short stories. But then there's also, um, you know, through the 60s and 70s, there's like these Nazi exploitation film. Like uh, people might have heard, of, have heard of the most famous one, Ilsa, She-Wolf of the SS. You know, yeah. and so, um, you know, I and had the to... Night Porter. That's Night Porter was... Film. Night Porter is more like, more art house type of film. Like, it is more, uh, but it is very, more very artistic. sexy. Yeah, whereas Ilsa was kind of porn. You know, I did a lot of research the other night, and I, you know, had to watch it, official research. Yes, I did it's very watch it several times. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> pants were not always on during those viewings. I think the rabbi would have been very I've disappointed. Seen it a bunch. Yeah, I used to watch <laughs> it when sure I was I'm sure you've seen it a bunch. <laughs> all the time. It's great, though. Were you also that. doing research? Yes, this week I have been researching all these uh, Nazi porn films. I'm now becoming <laughs> an expert on what happens. <laughs> an expert on Nazi porn. So yeah, mm. this Nazi death, death camp porn was a thing. 
still kind of is a thing. Um, but a lot of it stemmed from these stalags of uh, the late 1950s and early 1960s. Um, and these things, they kind of, they proliferated after the trial of Eichmann, but then stopped shortly thereafter because it was shut down by uh, the Israeli government, which is exceedingly puritanical. Like uh, mm-hmm. these Israeli government, especially at that time, porn was banned, outright banned. There's no porn really? allowed in that country. Oh, wow. I didn't so do that. These books were like the only sexual outlet for these like adolescent teens. I think that mm-hmm. that's why they're so popular. So these books, Stalags, S T A L A G, Stalag, uh, they took their name from the Nazi prison camps in which they were set. Um, and so there is basically just pornographic paperbacks with like really kind of uh, lurid covers. You know, usually, and we'll, we'll show you some covers in a second, but of, uh, you know, booksome Nazi women with whips and boots and hats, like whipping like a bound male prisoner. Um, but they all had like these very Nazi themes. Um, most of them uh, were, were pornographic accounts of uh, imprisonment. And the weird thing is, is, is almost always allied soldiers, usually British soldiers, oh, British and American troops. Tommies. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sexual brutalization by female SS guards. And then the prisoners' eventual revenge, always turning the tables here, which usually consisted of the rape and murder of their tormentors. You know, that's kind of turning the tables. So here's a typical premise of a uh, a Stalag. So during the Second World War, an Allied pilot gets shot down over Germany. He ends up in a prison of war camp, hence the name Stalag, a a contraction of the German word Stammlager. Stalag. Mm-hmm. Our hero is then tr- brutally treated in the camp by buxom female guards who sadistically torture him, but also use him as a sex slave. And the novel ends up with the protagonist taking revenge, ultimately on his tormentors. I have a full-on chub. Yeah, this, I can I can see you being mm. into this. Um, yeah, I would one hundred percent read this book. They uh, well, there are many of them. So the first Stalag was actually Stalag thirteen, and it was and it was sold out. Instantly, at uh, newspaper uh, kiosks at uh, Tel Aviv bus stations in like uh, the early '60s, uh, it was written by a 23-year-old named Eli Kadar, and it was published under the pen name Mike Baden. Most of them used uh, U.S. names. Uh, mm-hmm. I think part of it was because they wanted to create this ruse that it was written by someone who actually was there. Like this is a true account of what happened by this prisoner of war. I see. So a lot of these Stalags had the same authors, like Mike Baden, Victor Boulder, Kim Rockman, Eric Lindstrom, Mike Longshot, and Ralph Butcher. Mike Longshot. <laughs> yeah, Ralph, Ralph Butcher. Butcher. <laughs> that, that's the British guy, Ralph Butcher. He's from Britain. Wasn't he an inglorious bastards? Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, these were like, you know, recurring characters, but also most often the narrators. Because I think they're trying to like you know, have this ruse that these guys lived this experience. Like, this is a memoir, not a work of yeah. fiction. But it turned out that, uh, you know, they, they said, you know, it's like a lot of these would be like, you know, for the first time in Hebrew, you know, it's like, <laughs> this is a superb translation. This was a distinctly Israeli genre. These were all published and written by Israeli authors. So these, I wow. mean, these were Israeli produced books. They weren't memoirs. They weren't first person accounts of what happened. Um, smut. More or less. But so the foreign sounding pseudonyms were taken for commercial reasons, you know, to add like uh, legitimacy to, mm-hmm. you know, who wrote it. 
Um, also, I think that what they're trying to do is sort of like evade the censors. So if it was like a memoir, it wasn't like porn fiction. It's very know? clever. Yeah. So Stalag 13, the first of the series, tells the story of Mike Baden, a British pilot held in a German POW camp. His experiences seem to follow the standard course of wartime captivity, captivity until one day the SS staff is unexpectedly replaced by another unit. I mean, there's nothing really peculiar about the soldiers, nothing exceptional, but the physical fact that they were all women. Two mm. platoons mm. of female SS stormtroopers wearing very tight pants, shiny leather boots, and vests from cloth that stretched across tall and upright breasts with pointy nipples. Pointy nipples. You can tell this is a man writing this. Well, I think they had a particular Mm. demographic that they were targeting. Mm. Beneath the caps, uh, they had like short army haircuts, but the hair was fine and the necks feminine and slim. Uh, Before long, the camp is run exclusively by these female officers who dominated the men through menace, torture, and sexual abuse. And even as they plot rebellion, the soldiers are compelled to obey their sex-crazed dominators with a mixture of pleasure and revulsion. Hmm. So finally, the tables are turned on their vicious tormentors, and they take revenge by, no, by means like no less brutal than what they actually experience themselves. And that's typically, right. they all Every have the book. same narrative structure, all of yeah. these books, you know? <laughs> And the, the crazy thing is how successful they were. Stalag 13 had four editions within a year, sold more than 25,000 copies, uh, considered a bestseller at the time. And uh, then they eventually expanded into settings beyond just German camps, uh, but camps of a similar nature in Japan, Russia, Syria. So there's like Geisha Stalag, Stalag Ooh. Stalingrad, Stalag of Experiments, and Desert Stalag. So let's uh, check out a couple of these pictures of the provocative covers of these books. You can see how they would appeal to an Israeli teen. So look yeah. at this. They're like the, um, the men's adventures magazines from the 50s, aren't they, in the 40s? You know, it's funny you say that because uh, there, a lot of it was kind of like a perversion of those magazines. Yeah. So here, here you go. Book some Nazi uh, female guards. I love their uniforms. It's just like, I'm just mm-hmm. going to wear my panties. For my, they got their armbands. They got the Nazi armbands. But uh, it's like blonde, big tits, just tied up uh, British soldier, forced yes. forced to obey the will of his tormentors. Move, move to the next one. <laughs> All right, here's another one. This one's great. Oh, is this the 13? Yeah, so this, this, this is, is the, the actual one. cover. This is Stalag 13. Very, uh, very sexy. Yeah, it's like you have two. One uh, what a uh, blonde and a brunette here. <laughs> they both have a lot of cleavage. Wearing the black SS uniforms. The and boots. Yeah, she's got, a, mm. she's got a knee in the guy's back, gun to his throat. And you can see the Hebrew. Yeah. You know, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the title. I'm, I'm sure it says, like, translated in Hebrew for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> So, oh, here's another one. Yeah, I, I like this one. I like this one because she's got like, I don't know, she's got like the SS jacket on, but she's screaming, just yeah, pinning she's the like guy a wolf. down. Yeah, yeah. She's a she wolf. And there's a lot this of one. a lot of the Stalags had these two, like the women with these riding crops, just whipping the mm-hmm. men. You know, the men just prostrate on the ground. Yeah. Now here's another one. Like, so this is probably what happens when they get the better of their tormentors. This guy turned the tables. Now he's gonna start whipping her. Yeah. Yeah. 
Look at how ugly he is. So the Stalags, <laughs> I know he's hideous. So the Stalags, um, I mean, they were like number one through 1,000. <laughs> and then the titles My eventually, word. instead of just being like Stalag 13, Stalag 12, they became like Stalag of the Devils, Stalag of the Wolves, Women's wow. Stalag, Death Stalag. Um, but the female antagonists are often portrayed with, with much detail, not only about their physical appearance, you know, obviously they're buxom, and um, you know, they're wearing really tight clothes with their pointed nipples, uh, but also their emotional states, their personal background, their motivation, their desires. And some of them you know, were actually were fictional counterparts based on real figures of the Holocaust, such as Ilse Koch, you know, the witch of yes. Buchenwald, or Irma Grazia, who, um, the hyena of Auschwitz, who we actually, we cover her in uh, this week's Overkill. Probably the most sadistic of the female guards. She's a sexual sadist as well. As opposed to like Ilse Koch, who is, there's definitely something well, I mental, think she's psychotic, mental yeah. problems. She's Psychopath. psychotic. Irma was cold. She was an ice queen. She was calculated. She, I would be of, in fear of her if I had been in the camps. And, if I and had been in the camps, like yeah. her cold, emotionless eyes too at her trial, mm. just accepting her death. But the thing is with her too, which is also alarming, she was like twenty-one. She was. So child, she I mean, barely, like you know, barely an adult. Uh, but mm. she just did horrible things. So the thing that's interesting about the uh, Stalags, which is also kind of surprising, never featured Jewish characters, apart from okay. an occasional reference to the Jews in a few of the Stalags. You know, um, but they refrain, refrain from involving Jews in any of these stories. And I mean, the focus was mostly on like Anglo-Saxon versus the axis of evil. Now, it's interesting to think about it. Maybe it's because they reckon that as long as they could portray German brutality against British or American prisoners, the books could pass as like distasteful, you mm -hmm. know, and, and violent, but it would avoid, you know, censorship. Because, I mean, think about it. These, this is like, what, late 50s, early 60s? The wounds of the Holocaust were still fresh. Oh, I mean, they were, you know, they, they were hunting down the Nazis and trying them you know, at this point. So I couldn't imagine like, his publishers in Israel being like, yeah, let's have a few Jewish captives just being like, whipped by, by these, uh, these, these yeah. merciless guards. I, I don't think that would have gone down as well. So as we were talking about before, the Stalags, weren't the first pulp novels to combine like sex and swastikas. You know, they, these mag you know, the, the inspiration came from the American men magazines that appeared in the late fifties and throughout the sixties, really popular in the U S and these torture mags kind of took the, the concept of like men's adventure to the extreme. And so they had like stories of an unlimited violence alongside kind of sexy illustrations, like a lot of the covers. I mean, the men typically, you know, rescued damsels in distress you know who are being you know tortured by the nazis and so they go in and, and save them and i remember like i had a lot of these books as a kid like these the, you know, the, the anglos versus magazines. well a lot of them were like pulp novels of yeah. just and uh and like um graphic novels but of like anglos versus the nazis you know and they usually would have like damsels in distress and that the hero was on his way to rescue them from the evil nazis and so, but it was weird in the 60s, it kind of ch took a turn and like the, uh, the damsels in distress were kind of taken by like, like a male evil person that was like a torturer. So it's like, and that wore like Third Reich regalia with swastikas. And so 
it kind of became like the men were being tortured by these evil Mengla type figures and they were getting revenge and killing them all and escaping out of the camp, you know, seizing, uh, turning the tables and, uh, and uh, flipping it on the, on the Nazis. I can and... smell the testosterone from, <laughs> from well, here. <laughs> it made me wonder though, why, you know, why the, the change? I mean, I wonder if like, did the, you know, did you want to have like, um, you know, female torturers be, to depict like the rise of feminism? In the well, 60s? yeah, in the sixties, it could be because suddenly women were now very sexual as well because of the pill. Yeah. Mm. It, but also, I think like the threat to masculinity that feminism, of course, presented. Yeah, so maybe that's why they were like, okay, we're yeah, gonna... that's definitely part of it. I would say. But sure. the U.S. torture magazines were mostly about male dominance on other mm -hmm. men, but the Stalags definitely had a clear preference of female dominance over males. So maybe that's was the influence of feminism or they saw the yeah. rise of feminism and that's why they uh you know presented these the females as the antagonists. But it was the same kind of thing. It's like, you know, um the unfolding of a hero protagonist exploits and overcoming evil and reinstating, you know, the order of things. But uh the twist with the Stalags as opposed to the American uh predecessors was their brush of the evil involved acts of transgression and illicit pleasure. But yeah, it's the same narr narrative structure with the, every single book, which I think is kind of par for the course for adolescent, young adult literature. Um, but there I have is... read Virginia Hill books. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, confirm. there's like the initial downfall, captivity, transgression, breakout, revenge. Yeah. You know, at the end, all of them uh, ended up in revenge. And the, the weird thing about it, which is also kind of indicative with the uh, the names of a lot of the female Nazis. Like, you know, um, Ermel is called the uh, Heine of Auschwitz. Uh, then later on, the, the Beast of Belsen. Or the, the beauty, bitch. Or the, the, bitch. Bitch of, the Bitch of Belsen. Mm -hmm. And I think um, Ilsa was the, what, the Wolf of Buchenwald? Uh, she? Yeah, she was the bitch, wasn't she? The Bitch of Buchenwald. Yeah, so they, but a lot, but she was, a lot of them were like, portrayed with like bestial and animalistic like metaphors were used to, to mm -hmm. you know to name these uh, these nazi uh women like the nazi female nazi guards the stalags you know kept those names and more the more the uh the nazis were I, I think part of it was like you know they portrayed them as like beasts animals and they had like animal attributes underneath human skin female characters were likened to wolves and snakes and monsters you know, Ilsa, Ilsa, the she-wolf of the SS, you know, Irma the hyena. But I think part yeah. of it was, I think it was a way to, like, rationalize what they did. You know, I, I think they were like, these Nazis couldn't have been human. They had to have been beasts. Because mm -hmm. a human never could have inflicted such torture and evil on another human. I don't think they could even, like, rationalize that. Especially when it comes to women as well. I mean, yeah. It, yeah. I think that's amplified with women. There. It like, totally is. To yeah. think like a, someone like Irma could be as just pathologically evil and so cruel and sadistic. Just, at the age seems, of 20 as at well. At the age of 20 just seems so like, you know, antithetical to a woman's nature. Like what we, so I think that's why we're like, oh, she's got to be a beast. She's a hyena, you know. And the, <laughs> the other weird thing about in these Stalags, the male Nazis are usually portrayed as like refined and effeminate compared to the brutish women. Ooh. Yeah, it's like the change of the guards, you know, was almost like a transformation of not only command, but gender role. It's right. like a gender bending there. 
That's kind of weird. Is that also putting down the Nazis though to be like the men were very weak? The Nazi men? Is it like a bit of like subcontext there, isn't there? I think that's part of it. It's just like, you know, Mm. they're very effeminate and weak. You know, it's the women who really were in charge. Yeah. Um, But so, so it's interesting to also note that the sex scenes in these books were actually like really conservative. Kind oh, of following like what? Hollywood, yeah. Kind of following Mate, I've like. I had a chub and like, <laughs> what? Why are you doing this to me? Well, it kind of followed like Hollywood, uh, you know, cinema, you know, cinema conventions at the time. Like, oh, with um, the camera just pan away. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. like you know before there's like you know heavy petting, and then there's a fade out, and then it yeah. kind of starts up as if nothing actually happened. Oh, and then it cuts back to them. They're both smoking in bed. Yeah, <laughs> they're smoking in bed, and the guy isn't wearing a shirt. And she's got the covers oh, pulled up. Yeah, it's, I can't believe that. It's it's all foreplay, no action. Well, I mean, maybe in the puritanical society of Israel in the '60s, where porn's banned, maybe that's all all they needed. You know, it's saucy enough for them. Back saucy then, enough. Probably. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the thing. They they give an example here in Stalag 13. It says, "Here's a typical sex scene after drugging two prisoner prisoners into submission." The guard demonstrated for them what she wanted, and they pleased her, squeaking like hairy rats hanging from the vibrating body of an eel. <laughs> what? <laughs> but that, that's, that's erotica? It. That was Nazi erotica? Well, it's, not, it's not a penthouse forum, all right? Squeaking like It's a not a penthouse rat. forum. There's no like graphic detail of shagging here. But yeah, I mean, I think that's all it took. And these books, as I mentioned before, underground bestsellers really popular amongst like the adolescent males Here, let's show some more covers of uh here's a few more nice. just to get an idea of how sexy these books are so but i mean you can kind of tell how they would appeal to teenage <gasps> boys this is my favorite look with at those panthers. black panthers with the uh, swastika on their forehead are those like little oh. swastika yarmulkes that they're wearing is that what those yeah. <laughs> they look little like swastika it? Little... school caps i like these these babes pushing the coal yeah look at the babes the are, are working i wonder if this is like we turn the tables and now the women are doing the work in the work camp oh well, yeah here's one look at her she's got the dogs oh, yeah a lot of she's the, like who was the nazi yeah. uh female guard that controlled the dogs was that in in Bur- in belson or was that in Buchenwald? they all they all had like access to dogs but the one who's most famous because she was called the woman with the dogs is joanna Barman. Um, but maybe you think about very evil. She was in Belson. You think about you know these uh, you know, these guys never had any access to porn. There's no internet. There's no Playboy magazine in Israel at the time. So these first Israeli-born teens were coming of age. You know they're hitting adolescence, mm. and you know seeing a cover like this, you could wank to this. You could wank to the covers alone. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. well, a lot of the books were just, you know, there wasn't really, there weren't pictures. Oh, yeah, this is when the only Stalags actually showed the Fuhrer that just showed Hitler. Most of them would never yeah. show that. You know, most of them showed like a booksome female guard. But these Stalags provided that sexual titillation in a society that completely repressed it. You know, it's like, and, and their parents were Holocaust survivors who just, you know, they pretty much just like repressed all of that. They didn't discuss anything mm-hmm. about these camps. They didn't want to revisit that time. You know, these I was going to say, was it Jews, not taught in school? No, not, not at that time. I mean, it's it, wow. first of all, it only happened, it just recently like, happened. Yeah. yeah and obviously, like I think they before. probably mention 
what happened, but I don't think they went into details. I don't think they were talking about like, mm-hmm. oh, these female guards would have whips and like whip these men and, uh, you know, whip the female uh, troops and joy divisions. I don't think that was, that wasn't commonplace at the time. So no one really knew about any of this. I mean, mm-hmm. they knew that like 6 million Jews died. They knew that, you know, Jews now had a homeland in Israel, but their parents never talked about any of this stuff. Um, What's interesting, here's, an, here's a, a, a pretty descriptive explanation of why these, these books were so popular. A writer named Andrew O'Hare, he's um, O'Hare, I guess. I don't know, it's Israeli name, I can't pronounce it. He said, Stalags were a dream world, midnight version of the Eichmann revelations. A oh. Stockholm Syndrome equation of evil with arrows. A juvenile revenge fantasy all rolled into one. And it's yeah. true. I mean, at the time, you, know, you most people didn't know anything about what really happened, the Holocaust, till the Eichmann trial. And that's mm. what jettisoned these books into being so popular. So um, there's a, if you're that interested in the topic, uh, there's a documentary by uh, the recent documentary, I think it came out in like 2012 or something. Ari Libsker, he's a Israeli filmmaker. He directed a doc called Stalags, Holocaust and Pornography in Israel. And he says the Holocaust pics that he saw as he was growing up were the first pictures he'd ever seen of a naked woman. Whether these photographs were corpses at Bergen-Belsen or women forced to strip before a mass shooting in Latvia, these Holocaust images were the first time any, you know, any boys mm-hmm. saw naked women. And, you know, I got to say the same holds true for me. I mean, growing up in uh, Southern Africa during the 80s, porn completely banned. They call them blue yeah. movies. So you'd never be, you'd have never have access to it. Like I couldn't go to my divorced father's nightstand and pull out a <laughs> penthouse. That wouldn't happen in, in, in South Africa. So when I was like eight years old, vividly remember watching, because uh, my father watched all the Nazi, all the Holocaust movies, like Winds of War, the series, you know, Shoah, like all the Holocaust Shoah, movies. We, we had to watch it because my dad wanted us to learn. My dad was very adamant about that about learning what happened. And so we'd watch this and I remember, you know, seeing like staring at the titties. Like while the Nazis are forcing the, you know, these women to strip, I was staring at the titties and it was giving my little eight year old shrimp dick a shame boner. I gotta say, I mean, I, I couldn't, I didn't understand. I was confused by it, but I was just like, it's got a nice rack there. <laughs> you know? I, yeah, I remember definitely seeing Holocaust documentaries when I was younger and it probably would have been the first time that I'd have seen normal people naked i mean you just might have seen like a national geographic or something like yeah i mean but that's something. yeah but to see like that amount of people naked as well before they're getting shot i was watching holocaust documentaries and reading books about the holocaust i, when I, was I like mean 10 children yeah. were confronted with these images mm. in, these, in these films but you know that the, the, the weird thing is and then the documentary does a good job of explaining like the attraction you know in the uh the sexual titillation of these books, a male fan said it was the only jerk off material around. Another interviewee remembers a segment where the genitals of a prisoner are smeared in honey by a female guard to attract wasps. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that not sexual? That's completely sexual. And you know, in this conservative era of that time, I mean, this was like the only sexual material you could get. And the first like, you know, adolescent sexual encounters that these kids had. So what's interesting to find out about it is why these books became so popular. I mean, like what I can understand, you know, it's like you see 
you know, there's no porn and uh, like where it came from. But like the fact that they're even written, like what was the inspiration behind it and where it came from? So the books emerged from this culture of silence that surrounded the Holocaust, particularly in Israel. No right. one really, I mean, no one talked about the lurid details. He just said it was an atrocity. Six million Jews died brutally and uh, by the hands of this evil, you know, this Axis power, uh, the Nazis. Mm -hmm. But no one really said what went on in the camps. Um, you know, there was like Elie Wiesel who wrote Night and Primo Levi and these people that wrote like almost like a flowery description. Like a, of, of, it was almost like a like a French existentialist, like Camus or something, describing like the you know the experience of being in the camps, but not saying like, oh yeah, they whipped us and pulled their pants down and did horrible things. So for most of the adolescents, they couldn't really, you know, you didn't really know anything about what really happened in the trial until they read the book House of Dolls, came out okay. in 1955. This is a novel by writer Yehiel Denur. Um, it was a Holocaust survivor who wrote under the pseudonym Kosetnik135633. We have a picture of Kosetnik here. Kosetnik. I actually have been searching for this guy's book. This book, Doll, uh, House of Dolls, it's like $200 like, to get an original wow. copy of it. Yeah, really hard to find. So there he is. There's Kosetnik. Is that the Eichmann trial? Yeah, this is actually from the yeah. Eichmann trial. He's, mm -hmm. um, he's kind of notorious for the trial because he gave this like rambling he's the guy who faints he fainted and he's he gave this fainter. like rambling yeah. tirade against uh eichmann and the nazis and then fainted um but the book yeah the, i've been looking for the book so Konstantinik is a german acronym for Konzentrationslager, which is a concentration mm -hmm. camp and in yeah. in camp slang they just called the uh, a Konstantinik was a prisoner. Oh, there's Eichmann. There's Eichmann behind mm -hmm. glass. Uh, Kostetnik is a prisoner. And 135633 is a reference to the number that was tattooed on his arm in Auschwitz-Birkenau. Okay. So Kostetnik yes. was in Auschwitz for two years. He was a prisoner. Um, mm -hmm. As part of the trial here, he, uh, they brought out an actual the prison garb. And they asked him, like, is this what, uh, is, is this the, the pajamas? Is this what you wore? And he's like, yeah, that's what you wore in Planet Auschwitz. He describes it as like a separate planet, like a sep like almost like a multiverse, like there's a separate universe of what happened. I can't, yeah. I can well, I think it's that. a way that he can rationalize what he experienced. So House of Dolls was actually his second book. And this, this came out before the Eichmann trial, preceded the Eichmann trial, preceded Stalag's. And it was a wild success. It was translated into a dozen languages. And so in the last 50 pages, the hero's sister, Daniela, becomes a prostitute in the women's labor camp. She's forced to join the camp's Freudenbatelung, I can't even say it in German, but Joy Division. And uh, which is actually, which, you know, it's a, uh, uh, a group of uh, prostitutes that serve as the German soldiers. Also where, um, you know, the famous band got their name. Mm -hmm. uh, the girls selected for Joy Division have Feldhör, military whore tattooed between their breasts. Well, the wow. tattooing really happened, although the brothel at Auschwitz was frequented only by capos and other pri privileged prisoners, not by the SS. Um, the girls suffer an ardent and brutal lesbian boss named Elsa, who forces them to strip naked and then bends them over a chair and lashes them. This is in that book. This is his description of the book. We, no one read. There was nothing published like this at the time. For Israeli kids, you know, this was exciting. 
You got to admit. It's just scandalous. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, and it influenced, directly influenced the style of series that came out of the schlocky sex and violence pulp novels that uh you know that we we're looking at before but this book predated the stalags by i don't know what like five years um mm-hmm. and wasn't seen as being you know pulp schlocky sex novel like pornographic novel um Denor was considered the first ri- writer who wrote in hebrew about the terrible things that happened that he experienced firsthand in the in the war you know he in a sense you could almost say he was like the bukowski of holocaust literature so you are know, you saying that he maybe took information and spun it a little? Well, you know, he probably exaggerated uh, certain details. That's what I mean. But um, he he genuinely experienced this and expressed it luridly. He didn't hold mm-hmm. back. You know, yeah. He wasn't he wasn't trying to express it like I'm not trying to uh, disparage Ellie Russell. Night's a beautiful book, but you read it, you're not reading about you know, women getting bent over chairs and being whipped. You're hearing, and whipped. Yeah, you're hearing more of like, you know, a, a beautiful but horrific depiction of, of, of torture, but told mm-hmm. almost from like an existentialist point of view, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I think uh, Katsednik was telling it as like as a realist, like a pragmatist. Like yeah, this is to, what he given experienced. Given the raw facts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Eichmann trial proved a pivotal turning point for the Israeli perception of Holocaust survivors because the horrors of the camps were examined in, in graphic detail and on television. Mm-hmm. And so Denur um, Kasadnik was a witness at the trial, and he was known publicly already for this book. And his testimony about Auschwitz ended him with rambling about the camp and the horrors of the camp and fainting. You know, yeah. right in front of, uh, we saw Eichmann previously, but Eichmann was behind glass and he saw this man like, you know, in front of him, just like gesticulating wildly and screaming at him and then just fainting. Um, that of all footage the witnesses, is, a, is in documentaries. It's on YouTube as well. Yeah, you, you can see it. it. Mm. Um, and very provocative. Of all the witnesses at the trial, I mean, this that event gripped the Jewish world in 1961. And he's like the Israeli public... You know, the figure of the Israeli public would, uh, would remember most vividly, you know, f- face him directly in his glass booth. Um, and so when uh, he was asked by the prosecutor at the Eichmann trial about why he hid his identity behind the pseudonym Kasetnik, he claims it was not a pen name. I don't regard myself as a writer and a composer of literary material. This is a chronicle of the planet of Auschwitz. I was there for about two years. Time there was not like it is here on Earth. Every fraction of a minute passed on a different scale of time. And the inhabitants of this planet had no names. They had no parents, nor did they have any children. There they didn't dress in the way we dress here. They were not born there. They did not give birth. They breathed according to a different law of nature. They didn't live, nor did they die, according to the laws of this world. They were, on a, they were human skeletons, and their name and number was Kasetnik. They're prisoners. Wow. Yeah. So, and then they were like, well, is this what you wore? And he's like, oh, yeah, that's what we wore on Planet Auschwitz, you know? <laughs> and so they should, which, which must have been traumatic to be like, oh, great. Get to get to see that again, my striped pajamas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what's interesting, too? He wrote a book later, which I've also been trying to track down, called uh, Shviti, which is uh, it's called A Vision. And uh, what it is, like, under LSD treatment, he had, like, in the 60s, he went under LSD to, to revisit the trauma. Oh, I, 
I know about that. Yeah. And talk about, about what this. actually happened. And uh, yeah, one of the things he said that um, one of the traumatic memories that were brought on by the trial was the eyes of those being led to the, the gas chambers. He said, like, I see them and they're staring at me. Um, just every single person staring at me, just with no life in their eyes. In fact, Has it, so the books haven't been, sorry, but the books haven't been reprinted. No, you can, well, uh, House of Dolls was reprinted in the 80s. And yeah. you can find uh, you can find it there for a little bit cheaper than, but the original, the original. manuscripts are like $200 or something. Shvidi wow. you can find though, at, you know, like 50, 60 bucks for like a hard mm-hmm. copy. Mm-hmm. Um, I did get a, I did find a copy of his book, Atrocity, which yes. uh, is about Auschwitz and what he experienced there. But that, that was the thing. I mean, um, a lot of, so at the time, his books were actually read in Israeli high schools as an account of what happened at the Holocaust. And I think that's, I think that's kind of like you're reading something like that, and that's, you know, Stalin's is just an expansion of that, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but many Jewish historians now, when they look back at it, are very critical of Kasetnik and how he wrote about what happened in the camps. They said that uh, he mixed graphic violence with sentimental kitsch much like the pulp novels, the Stalags, and distorted history in the in the process. In a sense, they said he wrote Holocaust porn rather than a true account of Shoah. He turned Shoah into a spectacle. Just as it's like showing grotesque yeah. scene painting rather than describing the true horror of what occurred there. I think he is describing the true horror because there definitely there is a sexual element to the Nazis. There's no denying it. The Nazis, there is sex well, there. And they indeed had, they had orgies in the camps. The camp commandants, they oh, were yeah, all no, the SS each were very lustful. I mean, they had orgies. Mm. Everyone was, I mean, didn't, uh, we were saying in Overkill that like Mengla didn't give uh, herpes or, or syphilis. Gonorrhea. He gave syphilis. syphilis to, to um, several women. The bitch of Elson, yeah. he gave, yeah. <laughs> so no, so they were he, definitely fucking. There's a lot of so fucking going on these So I think it's an important aspect that probably should be taught in school is that can't the kind of overt sexualism about them i don't think it's something that should be ashamed of or hidden well i think uh well what's interesting about it is the attitude towards describing the holocaust and explaining yeah. what happened the holocaust kind of shifted so in the first few decades um right after the war the show is often at least in israel a theme for fantasies of violence perversion degradation in a sense i think they're trying to like degrade these this character of the nazis like these are beasts these are animals these sexual creatures that they were you know devoid of any humanity but later on it became an uh, you know occasion for high speculations about god and man and man's Mm. cruelty towards one another and the destiny of the west you know i think um i think that was the that was the the shift and 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 that's kind of what like ellie wazell and and uh and you know preceding authors you know, authors uh, like Primo Levi and other people who wrote about the Holocaust didn't go into like the lower detail of Kassetnik. But what's what's interesting is his book is still respected. He got a, there's a literary prize given in his name, um, still part of the high school curriculum. But why should Stalags be reviled, but his books revered? Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of critics are saying. It's like so. If we're reading House and Dolls in high school, then why aren't we reading Stalag Thirteen? Because they're they're not real. The Stalags are smut. Well, that's what they're claiming. Uh, a lot of what happened in his books, in Kasetnik books, the factuality 
is also a bit sketchy. They said one of the doubtful plot points in the House of Dolls is the placement of a Jewish woman in Auschwitz's so-called pleasure block. They said though the death camp did have brothel of sex slaves and Jewish women were often raped by the Nazis, the actual you know, pleasure blocks mm-hmm. would never have a Jew, Jew there. They had like uh, you know, German porn or German whores. Yeah. And so they said that this is kind of a you know, bit deceptive. He, he was obviously exaggerating a lot of facts for the book. Maybe he did. You know, maybe he's a little bit of artistic license there. Um, other survivors and historians say that the uh, that these that his books, um, along with the Stalags, did a lot of damage. You know, it's it's they portrayed the Holocaust as being porn and sensationalistic, and feeds a voyeuristic desire to see atrocities and fantasize about them than rather to like learn from it. But of course, there's a voyeuristic aspect to it. There's a, it's like there's a voyeuristic aspect to all like it's like how we were i was saying that i want to see the true crime photos of dead ass fucked women you want to be the voyeur because it helps you understand understand by seeing this footage yeah by seeing this shocking yeah but you don't have to wink for 30 minutes afterwards well that depends on what type of person you are (laughs) doesn't it but i don't know i mean reading through like the more i read about him and obviously i haven't read the book but katsutnik was there the guy experienced it, and yeah. he was describing it, describing his own experience. In fact, uh, one of the uh, one of the um, uh, passages I read about him, Mengla, because Kostetnik was a twin. He and his twin Ooh. brother were both there, and he was like, I don't know, in his late teens. Uh, Mengla passed him over, and claimed that uh, you know, though he was a walking skeleton, which they, there's a term they use called musulman, musulman, which yeah. is like uh, you're nearing death, like death is near because you're a walking skeleton. Mengla spared him. He said he sent something indestructible in his eyes, which is kind of strange because you'd think like, oh, I'm going to, you know, destroy him. <laughs> but wow. Mengla, Mengla, yeah, Mengla was a, he was a not creature. Spared by the angel of death. Yeah. Um, but so, you know, after, uh, after the Eichmann trial and people heard about a lot of these uh, graphic depictions of the true horror that went on there, um, the Stalags just took off and, in popularity, broke all records, uh, publishing records. Hundreds of thousands of copies were sold at these kiosks, you know, at Tel Aviv bus stations. I mean, think about it. I think a lot of people were dealing with trauma, and maybe this is one way to 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 deal with it, to cope with what happened. It's like young men identified with these American and British soldiers who were imprisoned in the camps and took revenge. I think a lot of them, uh, you know, didn't understand like how weak their parents were. Like, why'd you give in to the Nazis? Why'd you just, you know, obediently march into a gas chamber? Like, why not fight back? Yeah, because it hadn't been taught to them why the Nazis were so powerful. Yeah, exactly. I don't think they had a a true understanding. I mean, they were also Mm -hmm. adolescents. So here it is, these books, these Stalags must have been very empowering. You know, it's like, here's a British soldier who's, you know, flipping the 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 bill yeah, here, yeah, taking on, the power back, the tables, taking the power back, and raping his tormentors. Mm. You know, and so um, these Stalags ended up like kind of uh, morphing into like a fictional counterpart of Eichmann's testimony. You know, and uh, and so the the eroticism not only revolves around the uh, you know doesn't only revolve around the act of sexual intercourse. 
what's interesting about it, because I, I mentioned before that the depiction of sexual intercourse is very conservative. Like almost follows like Hollywood conventions. Um, they don't really go into it, but it's the eroticism of dominance, humiliation, and servitude. The sadomasochistic mm-hmm. aspect of these books. And I think that's what kind of were really popular to these kids. It's, it's weird to think about like, you know, they obviously probably didn't know what S&M was, but they were turned on by it. Yeah. You know, they were turned on by the sight of, you know, this Ilsa Coke, blonde, books, books and women in like, you know, leather SS outfit with a riding crop, like whipping these guys, putting a boot oh, in their back. Oh, come on. Who is it? Ah, it's hot. You it's know? hot. So I, I read a... Uh, kind of a, a, a very uh, academic type essay on this. I got into this. It's interesting. Um, it's called uh, Holocaust Perversions, the Stalag's Pulp Fiction, the Eichmann Trial. And they just kind of were showing the correlation, um, the success of the Stalag's from the Eichmann Trial. It's by a couple of professors named Pinchevsky and Brand. And they say that the Stalag's constituted a text upon which Israeli youth negotiated issues of power and identity via v their parents' generation and this new Zionist ideology. Mm-hmm. And, and part of the, because Zionism was so new, I mean, they just moved to Israel. They were the first generation of Israelis. So they're technically the new Jews, you know, and they were, they were strong, they're courageous. They fought off the Arabs. You know, they had like the six day war and all that. Right, I see. And they're the opposite of the old diaspora Jew from Europe who were weak and cowardly you know, and we're uh, dominated by these, these Nazi forces and feminine, in a sense. Yeah, I can you know? totally understand it. So here's the Stalag. And I mean, I kind of do feel like this is sort of a convoluted academic hypothesis, but I think it could very well be true. Subconsciously, the Stalag was like the new Jew taking place, the new powerful Jew taking place of the old weak one. Like yeah, a generational shift. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, scenes of women dominating men... And the reversal of weak and strong kind of suggests the, the roles being reversed, you know. And then, then the whole question of, like, what would we have done if we were there? You know, we'd have gotten revenge. And finally here, the other thing about the Stalags, it's almost like the Stalags kind of proved the right to punish and kind of justified that, which is what the Israelis were doing. I mean, they were, like, hunting down these Nazis, hanging them. And so bringing Eichmann to trial... I mean, Eichmann, probably one of the most infamous Nazis that survived. Of course. You know, um, and bringing him to justice and led to sentencing and punishment. I mean, that had to be gratifying. Historical justice, oh. you know, means revenge. And that's, you know, what happened at the end of all, you know, the, the conclusion of all these Stalags. If we got back, we raped our tormentors. We killed them. And so, I mean, I think that's kind of what happened. So... The, the Stalags only had a short life. They were only around for a few years. And the one that killed it all was a book called I Was Colonel Schultz's Private Bitch. That, wow. <laughs> that was the book. I was looking for the cover. I couldn't find the cover. But that was mm. the most outrageous and infamous Stalag, and it was the one that ended the genre. And it was told from the viewpoint of a female prisoner forced to join a, uh, a camp brothel. Uh, the protagonist was a Jewish woman, a French Jewish woman, captured by a Nazi officer who makes her his dog. And then she gets revenge, and he becomes her dog. (gasps) Now I want to be your dog. (laughs) Now you want to be my dog. It's like the Stooges song. (laughs) Apparently, young Israelis, and I think Israeli censors in general, 
They're like, ah, you know, the British pilots who, you know, had the misfortune of like landing into a, uh, a camp and becoming POWs. That made sense. But a Jewish woman in that role becoming a, uh, a dog to this Nazi soldier, that was a little bit too much. It, it and, uh, went too far, did it? Was that I, I think it pushed the, it pushed that broke the, the it broke, back. you know, they stepped mm-hmm. over the line. Yeah. And so at that point, they're like, these are this, these publishers are disseminating pornography and they shut it down. They destroyed, they hunted every copy of I was Colonel Schultz's private bitch and they shut it down. And wow. then that was uh, the, the short-lived life of the, uh, the Nazi porn Stalag um, literature. Word. However, you know, though the Stalags, the, the, the literary fiction here was short-lived, it did kind of engender a whole new genre of film, Nazi exploitation film. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of like late 60s, definitely throughout the 70s. Uh, it started these like, basically it was just like the film version of the Nazi Stalags. Uh, the first one was a movie called Love Camp 7, which came out in 1969. That was the first one, and that just kind of ushered in a whole you know, slew of these films. Ilsa, She-Wolf of the SS, definitely the most famous, which also oh. had a string of sequels and ripoffs. And then there was like the, the more like artsy side of, these, of this uh, Nazi exploitation wave uh, with movies like Liliani Cavani's The Night Porter and Pier Paolo's uh, Salo, 120 Days of Sodom. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see that? Oh, of course I have. It's a great, great film. Um, so the earliest one was was uh, Love Camp 7, set in a Nazi camp and definitely like the vanguard of the modern women in prison genre <laughs> that came out yeah. in the 70s. Uh, the story resembled like a true adventure pulp yarn, you know, similar to the Stalags. Um, in order to rescue a Jewish scientist, two female agents infiltrate a Nazi Joy Division camp where prisoners are kept as slaves for German officers. So they had to become slaves. They had to become, uh, you know, prostitutes. Go undercover. To get the job done. There are scenes of bootlicking humiliation, whipping, torture, lesbianism, and near rape, culminating in a violent and bloody escape. Some wow. of the, the characters are great. There's a cruel and perverse commandant, a lesbian doctor, sadistic guards who abuse the prisoners and strip them naked. And oddly enough, a sympathetic German who tried to help them. It's kind of weird. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. The... German... We all know Germans don't have hearts. Yeah. It's like, come on. They're cruel <laughs> beasts. Uh, the most infamous and influential one of, of all is Ilsa, She-Wolf of the SS. Came out in 1974, and it was from Canada. Canada was churning out these Nazi exploitation films. We, do we have a pic of Ilsa? We do. So these movies came out. So this is what? This is like uh, 1974. Mostly came out for the uh, the grindhouse like drive-in circuits. Could you imagine going to drive-in to see this? Ilsa, this is not a she film that ESS. you should be watching with a bunch of strangers. This is a film oh. you watch in your house alone or with a partner. I could imagine watching it with my girlfriend in a car, but it'd be kind of I don't know, probably a little obscene. Uh, the series started or starred Diane Thorne. An impossibly mm-hmm. buxom death camp commandant whose insatiable sexual appetites compelled her to humiliate graphically, torture, mutilate, castrate, and generally exterminate any man who didn't leave her satisfied. 
such a fun <laughs> film. <laughs> Highly recommend this film. It's very, very silly. I love it. But they touch on a lot of taboo topics, like uh, Mengele's scientific test, the human experimentation. Um, they did. Uh, she did a test, for example. Ilsa has a male and a female prisoner flogged to death to prove her theory that women can endure more pain than men. So I was looking for a clip that we can play here on the YouTubes, um, <laughs> but there's there's too much nudity. Pretty much every scene, there's like at least press. Um, yeah. But here's a here's a scene. No nudity, but definitely sexually charged. To give you a little taster for those who've not seen it. But no ceremonies, please. I shall just depart when I am ready. He's about Have to take any off. service to the general. Yes. Diane Thorne. Sexy. She is hot. Uh-oh. Uh, so she's got the whole SS uniform uh, on. Yeah. Nine. 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 N not the top. <laughs> he wants her to keep the SS uniform on. The, the breeches only. <laughs> Who can blame him? Just take the breeches off. He's like turned on too. That's the thing, the audio, so this is like one of the only scenes where there's no nudity, but the audio is great in this scene. Really kind of illustrates how, uh, how amazing this movie is. So she's slipping off her breeches. The guy looks like he's about to have a heart attack. <laughs> Take off the zippants. Take off the pants. I wonder if he's a Canadian actor, like a famous Canadian He's got a actor. cum in his pants. <laughs> there's no, none of the men's in here is there. Yeah, famous. The boots. Oh, don't make her put, take put off the boots. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> you got to put the put the boots back, back on. <laughs> this movie is great. It is great. I've seen it a whole bunch of times. Of course I have. Oh, I need to stop. Look at him, like, getting down on the ground. Can you understand? like some blonde goddess. She is kind of like is. a blonde goddess. She the is mother of goddess. All. <laughs> He's lying prostrate on the ground here. Diane Fawn has the diamond level pussy. <laughs> <laughs> For me, there's but one way. This is great. Had to play the whole scene. What path to pleasure? Do you understand? Come, please. I know this is the part to pay attention to the audio. Come. In liberty. In liberty, or what do you say? Is that German? You must. No. Such a great On scene. me. <laughs> She's totally pissing on him. <laughs> She's pissed on him. She's pissing on him. Um, yeah, there you go. It's a great movie. I, I highly recommend it.
It's a good good family viewing. I think you can see it on Disney Plus. Excellent <laughs> movie. Uh, but but the uh, character is based on the Witch of Buchenwald, Ilse Koch, wife of the uh, the the Buchenwald concentration camp Carl Otto Koch. Mm-hmm. Um, she was known for having perverse sexual dalliances with the uh, prisoners and had lampshades made uh, from human skin. She did. Very, yeah. very psychotic woman. Very evil lady. Uh, this mm-hmm. movie was so successful when it came out that they had a host of sequels. There was Ilsa, Harem Keeper of the Oil Sheiks, Ilsa, the Tigress of Siberia. <laughs> oh, wow, she went to Siberia. I've not seen that one. Yeah, and it, it spawned a whole industry of Italian-made Nazi dominatrix splatter porn. So there are yeah, a bunch like, of them that came out. Do you think, like, um, Dario Argento and all the, like, the Italian wave of, um, like, violent films, do you think that would have even occurred? if this hadn't been going at the same time? Well, I mean, I think it definitely was an offshoot, but related yeah. for sure. Mm. I mean, some of the titles, these Italian ones were like Nazi Love Camp 27, Salon Kitty, yeah. the Gestapo's Last Orgy. Oh, I've seen Salon Kitty. That's a good one. Yeah, it's 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 pretty great. Mm. And then there was like the art house films that came out, like um, Salon Kitty would be considered by Tinto Brass, uh, Liliana Cavini's uh, The Night Porter, Piero Paolo uh, Pasolini's uh, Salo, 100 Days of Sodom, as well as The Beast in Heat. Did you ever see that? <gasps> no, but La I Bestia want to. in Calor. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, and uh, Cesar Canareri's um, The Last Orgy of the Third Reich. Mm-hmm. You know, a major influence on the genre, you might have seen this one, was the uh, controversial art house production The Damned. Came out in 1969. I have seen The Damned. It's yeah. an amazing film. Directed by uh, Lucino Visconti. About the, this is a good movie. I've seen this too. Not for a while. Um, it's about the rise and fall of the German industrialist family in the Third Reich, and it featured an orgy of homosexual SA men and depicted uh, one of the main characters who eventually joins the SS as a troubled multiple pervert, posing in a transvestite outfit, molesting little girls, and finally committing incest with his own mother. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so while the Ilsa series and some of the art house films were profitable, most of them were just total flops. And the, the yeah. whole yeah, the whole genre of Nazi exploitation porn you don't say. kind of vanished by the mid eighties. Although, you know, to uh another side here is the Mitchell brothers actually had full on Nazi porn as well. Produced Nazi porn. Did they? Sa- yeah, like S and M porn films, uh such as uh Hot Nazis, Nazi Love Island with John Holmes and Seika, seventies porn star. Wow. Oh, that'll be very late on then. That'll be when John Holmes has the AIDS. I think it was like early like yeah, Seca. like late eighties, early eighties. Yeah, that'll um, be he's nearly dead. Hitler's harlot. <laughs> That's another one. <laughs> and just uh just to kind of conclude it. So the Nazi genre didn't, you know, obviously kind of faded away into obscurity in the eighties. I think they kind of stopped doing a lot of these movies. But there's been homages. So did you ever see uh, the two thousand seven film by uh, Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino, Grindhouse? Do you watch that? Sadly, I have seen that. Sadly. So in it, and I forgot about this. I haven't seen it in a long time. Um, there's a great. I love the uh, the the vignette with Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell's the only good thing about That's that. Great. Awful um, film. But there was a there was a scene. I didn't even remember this. But uh, Rob Zombie had a trailer for a fake film called Werewolf Women of the SS, starring yeah. Nicolas Cage. <laughs> and who cared? Do you I remember can't this? I remember that. Yeah. I didn't no. remember this either. And I guess it was like a. And like a fake trailer and Rob Zombie's like basically I had two ideas it was either going to be a Nazi movie or a women in prison film and then I went with the Nazis and there's all those movies like Ilsa She-Wolf of the SS and Frolin Devil and Love Camp 7 I've always found that to be a bizarre genre 
So I think he was just kind of paying homage, you know? Yeah. So the Stalag novels might have been, they might be deemed crude, vulgar, kind of disrespectful to what actually happened, the true horrors of the Holocaust. But in a sense, I think, uh, I think it helped the children, you know, the, uh, the, the, the second generation whose parents are in mm-hmm. the Holocaust come to terms with what actually happened. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like, it's hard to, it's hard to really imagine the unspeakable horror that happened in it. And I think these books kind of help them rationalize it, possibly fantasize about it. You know, it probably gave rise, I mean, definitely attracted a morbid curiosity, but definitely, but it, you know, undeniably gave rise to a forbidden sexual fantasy, you know, a subversive indulgence and the ultimate evil is a form of uh, erotic catharsis. And the same thing can be said with the Night Stalker. Like the goth sluts fantasizing about having sex with the Night Stalker. I wonder how many of them would have actually had sex with that vile creature. I think they were all there to try and do exactly that. But I think that's what we do. I mean, we're humans. A lot of us, you know, it's like the, uh, we eroticize evil. We fetishize the forbidden. You know, and I think what's naughtier than dressing up and playing Nazi? There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. (laughs) <laughs> it's perfectly healthy people don't what, judge me <laughs> what i want to know is how many people how many listeners right now are downloading ilsa she will for the ss all well i imagine that a lot of people who listen to this podcast have seen that film multiple times vile perverts a lot of yeah. them you all are you know who you are uh, people's episode 777 here is sick and wrong it's kind of a milestone episode 777 triple seven 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 yeah and didn't we're realize that nazi yeah. Nazi nasty. Uh, we have news stories coming up next. Um, phone calls a little later in the show. Actually, we actually have the uh, the humiliating uh, loss of virginity stories. Very awkward. Mm, Some of these are really now. awkward. So we're going to start playing those. Uh, but first, before we get to that, here's a word about our Patreon page. Brothers and sisters, this is the atheist preacher. And I'm here today to tell you about the Sick and Wrong Patreon, patreon.com slash sickandwrong. As we all know, money is the root of all evil, so what better way to cleanse your soul than by kicking some into the plate for the Sick and Wrong Patreon? Not only do you get to enjoy all the original sins, like extra news stories, phone calls, and outtakes, you also get to feel self-righteous knowing you've helped this Jew and this Jezebel on their path to hell. Hallelujah! So the first story we have here has to do with a perverted doctor. Ooh. Yeah, perverted doctor. Is it Mengele? No, he's more like Dr. Huxtable. Remember uh, Bill Cosby's doctor? (laughs) He was a perverted doctor, though, Mengele. I'm sure he he would have done this as well. All day long, yeah. Uh, Doctor molested veteran patients after using acupuncture to immobilize them is now eyeing an appeal. Um... Yeah, I didn't even know you could use acupuncture for that. I didn't know it could immobilize you. Yeah, could, like that's what I was saying, Doctor Huxtable. Could you imagine if Bill Cosby studied acupuncture? Well, then he wouldn't have needed to drug them, would he? It well, yeah. I wonder if he wouldn't have to slip him a hot Cosby. <laughs> <laughs> and then have... slip them a hot Cosby. <laughs> Do they have hot Cosbys in uh, England? Is that what no, is, is that what Shandy what... is? What's a hot Cosby? Uh, it's like a drink with a 
like a with real hypnol yeah, in real it. Hypnol in it with a roofie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dr. Jonathan Yates was handed a 25-year prison sentence this week after he admitted to molesting a trio of male military veterans in 2019. Oh. Yeah, three male that, mi- a, military that veterans. That took a bit of a spin, didn't it? Yeah, it's kind of, well, at first I was like, oh, is he a nonce? But he's not a nonce. These guys are all, I mean, veterans. They're all like in, you know, 30s and 40s. Yeah. He, he's like Ricky Ramirez. He doesn't want the prime beef. He wants the gristle. Well, they're not that old. Ricky Ramirez is like raping 80-year-old women. Oh, uh, sorry, because you said, I'm assuming. Oh, you mind, thought veterans. No, they're veterans of war. Yeah. I mean, they were like, one guy was like 42. Oh, um, okay. So he pled guilty. In uh, September, the three felony counts of deprivation of rights under the color of law after molesting a trio of military veteran patients, his patients. He was sentenced mm-hmm. um, to 25 years this past Monday. Wow. Yeah, which is pretty, seems uh, pretty extreme. In fact, his, uh, his legal team was like, well, this is completely unfair. This is way above the recommended guideline sentence. And so they're eyeing an appeal about this. So federal sentencing guidelines recommend that Yates spend a maximum of 17 years and five months in prison. But the judge had been so swayed by the victim's testimony, um, uh, you know, the, the, his egregious acts yeah. of uh, molestation here, that he sentenced him to uh, like well beyond with the eight years um, in addition to what the guidelines recommend. That judge is not playing around, is he? Very like- compelling testimony you're about to hear. Oh. So his uh, defense attorney said a sentence within the recommended range would have been sufficient, would have been fine. You know, Mr. Yates accepted responsibility. His advanced age, he's 52, and he spent many years providing medical care in undeserved areas. These are all mitigating factors that should have been given more weight in court. But think about this, though. So many years given medical care, he molested three guys that's been proven. How many people did he violate that was just never reported? Yeah. You know? A lot more, probably. Yeah. Uh, prosecutors claim those actions were a despicable betrayal of his oath, his medical oath. Mm-hmm. And uh, the sentence reflects the seri- seriousness of his uh, misconduct. You know, he used his specialized medical knowledge and expertise to sexually abuse his own patients, and he must be held accountable. So in March 2019, is, this is where they, when the abuse happened. It, um, it occurred, he, he molested uh, several patients at the Veterans Affairs Medical Center in Beckley, West Virginia. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. So he allegedly <laughs> rubbed the genitals of two veterans and digitally penetrated a third victim's rectum, rectum under the guise of legitimate medicine. Now, if you think about it, he's a doctor. He could have been examining the prostate. Don't you have to do a little digital penetration? Firstly, I'd be like, acupuncture is not a legitimate medicine. But secondly, <laughs> if you were the other two guys who he didn't finger fuck, wouldn't you be a bit upset and be like, well, what was so wrong with my rectum? <laughs> that like he must have looked at it and been like, no, this rectum is not for me. Like, do I have an ugly rectum? So you would have felt left out. I would have felt left out. Yeah, I mean, fair enough, touch the genitals, whatever, but what, what, you took a look at my asshole and it's not right for you? Yeah, like, maybe I'm going to get a complex to about this. Exactly. I would be suing him for that. Yates targeted veterans who were experiencing chronic pain, and he immob- immobilized his victims using acupuncture needles and varying chiropractic techniques. 
Ooh, I've always wanted to go to a chiropractor. Do you guys have chiropractors in the UK? Is that like a Co- thing? There? Yeah, of course. Of course. Oh, God. They're the worst. They're the worst. Oh. They're not even real doctors. Veterinarians have more uh, medical legitimacy than a chiropractor. Ooh, right. Well, have you been to a chiropractor? I have. And it was a horrible experience. I, um, it was my. Did you get a finger in the rectum? No. Oh, see, you must have looked <laughs> at your asshole. Did. You Everyone must have looked did. at your tattooed asshole <laughs> and thought, I don't even want to touch this, this tattooed Not asshole. going there. No, yeah. uh, I was a freshman in college, my first year mm-hmm. at University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And uh, we had built like these lofts, like lofted beds, because the room was so small that we built the beds. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. They're lofted. So you, mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of. So you'd have like, you know, we could put our desk below it. Um, but you had to like, there's a ladder to climb up the loft or you could just kind of grab it and pull your, like hoist yourself up. Yeah. So I was fucking wasted, wasted. And I was like, uh, who needs a ladder? And I like started pulling myself up like I usually do. And I just fell back and landed right on my cockex. On and your like, cockex. Yeah. Just like landed right on it. And, uh, fucking, you know, at the time I was so drunk, I just passed out on the ground. Mm-hmm. When I woke up, I, I was having trouble like walking and standing. I get <laughs> fucking hurt. And so I remember I like uh, told my parents and uh, my mother was like, uh, you should go to a chiropractor. Cause my mom, my mom believed that my mom actually believed in a lot of holistic yeah. medicine. Um, and go like homeopathy. to the chiropractor, David, for your well, coccyx. Well, like, home- like homeopathy. Like my mom, that was really popular in South Africa. My mom believed in a lot of that. Okay. Like, I remember my sister had like a bit of a flatulence issue when she was young. <laughs> Not surprising because <laughs> she had IBS. But uh-huh. um, yeah, and like we, I remember we used to be like us. You know, Stephanie's got to go to the fart doctor again. <laughs> but there was a guy and he was like a homeopath. And uh, yeah, my mom was like really into that. And she thought chiropractors were great. So I went to this chiropractor in Ann Arbor. And he was this fucking massive, like six foot nine Native American guy. With fucking huge hands, like big ass mittens. And so uh, I remember being like, uh, all right, well, this is kind of scary. Like, what are you going to do? And yeah, it's like you're like almost like putty in this guy's hands. He's like snap, 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 and like whipping your mm. your legs around, pulling your back in positions that you wouldn't even think were physically possible. And so after he did all that, I was like, holy shit, I feel awesome. Like it was amazing. Yeah. Like it was, it was fine. I would say maybe hour and a half, two hours later, the pain came back sevenfold. Oh really? Oh, it was so fucking painful. Yeah, it was way worse. And so then I ended up going to like a uh, physical therapist and they like, you know, taught you how to like, you know, I, th- I think they gave me some medication and regimen and like, and they taught you how exercises. to take care of your coccyx. Take, yeah. Absolutely. Fix my coccyx. Mm. And they were like, don't ever go to a chiropractor. Back crackers. Oh. They're quacks. There's not even, you don't even have to go to fucking med school for that. I just, I really want like my back. You know, when people give you like a proper bear hug and they crack and they, your they back. crack your back. Mm, like I want John Redcon to do that to me. Oh God, this guy was fucking massive. Yeah. 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 I'm, yeah. I only have, I've only had that Actually, one experience, and I'll never do it again. Oh no! I was about to say John Redcon in King of the Hill is a chiropractor, but no, he's an acupuncturist. I wonder if he's ever done this. Your mum would have gone to see John Redcon. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure. I'm sure she would have. So in uh, February 2019, a 42-year-old veteran was experiencing severe back pain. He sought out Yates for a massage therapy referral. Instead, Yates grabbed the patient's nipples, yanked his chest hair, and called him, quote, a real man, 
in the examination room. He then later pulled the man's underwear down and fondled his genitals with an ungloved hand. Oh, an ungloved hand? (laughs) You don't know where that genital has been. Well, would you have been like, um, is the genital fondling part of the exam? You know? Yeah, like my genitals are just fine, thank you. They're the only thing that escaped out the wall unscathed. How is this medical ball gag like helping my back? Like, I, I don't get it. This just seems a little bit unusual. You know, um, he said, Yates, the doctor said, boxer briefs, my favorite, keeps everything tight and in place. You know, as soon as I heard that, I'd have been like, all right, pull my pants up. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. That's just not normal. The doctor starts complimenting your ball bags. (laughs) You're just out the door. And then later, Yates became irritated and he smacked the patient's buttocks really hard. He then cracked the veteran's neck temporarily paralyzing him and then stripped the patient's underwear off and molested him. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and there's nothing he could do. He couldn't even move. It's like, uh, what was that, uh, that uh, Metallica song, you know, One? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Johnny got his gun. Um, mm. Yeah, it's like you can't even move. You couldn't even do anything. And the guy's like sitting there like diddling your junk. He said Dr. The, Fingerfuck. <laughs> he said the pain was excruciating. I felt it all over my body. Fucking chiropractor and rapist. That's why you don't go to backcrackers. Okay. Well, because um, they're going to fingerfuck you as well. Yeah, the victim said he, uh, as soon as he was able to uh, move again, he quickly left the exam room, drove to a nearby gas station, and cleaned himself using multiple sanitary wipes. <laughs> Got to get off the, the dirty Dr. Diddle. Yeah. Yeah, the, the diddle dust. Well, he did use an ungloved hand, <laughs> and you don't know where Dr. Fingerfuck has been putting his fingers before. So, well, like, yeah, obviously, in other guys' rectums. Yeah, well, you know? not everyone's rectums. Well, maybe not everybody. He seems to be quite uh, selective Very with the selective, rectums. Very selective, yeah. He said, I felt dirty after that encounter. Yates also popped the neck of a different patient, pulled his pants down without warning, just yanked his pants down, and commented on a tattoo of a Hershey's Kisses chocolate on the man's buttock. Which, if you think about, isn't that kind of a weird placement of a Hershey Kiss like tattoo so close to your asshole? Is it not supposed to be like, kiss my ass? Maybe, but I mean, it's a little chocolate thing. Like, would you from afar, it's like, uh, dude, I don't think you're wiping that well. Wouldn't you, uh, right, remember back when Jackass first came out and obviously Steve-O has your name tattooed on his ass and imagine everyone went out and got that tattoo. I wonder where what all is these he? people are now. He has your now. name tattooed he on his ass? He has your name tattooed on his ass. So everyone was like, that's <laughs> hilarious. I know three people who went and got fucking your name tattooed on his ass. So where are these people now? I wonder, like, you know, as they were all working their corporate jobs with fucking your name tattooed on their ass. (laughs) There was a guy, um, I think we were talking about this on the Discord, but there was a guy that had Wackerly and, like, cursive (laughs) tattooed on his right butt cheek. I wonder if that guy still listens. Hmm. If you still listen, did you get it covered? Did you get it covered? You still have it. He, when Wackerly left, his heart was broken. And <laughs> now he's got this tattoo on his ass. Then I'm sure like women are like, what? I don't get Who's it. Who's wackily? <laughs> yeah, he's like, he long story. Long story. Yeah. Um, you know, it, I always find it funny when doctors comment on your tattoos. Because, I mean, I have a couple. Um, but dermos, dermatologists, every time like you go in to get your moles checked, they're just like, well, it's going to be impossible with all your tattoos. It's like, 
fuck you. It's like, yeah, well, I'm paying you for a service. You've yeah, been like, to school. Do your fucking job, doctor. Today is just a harder, harder job for you, Dr. Fingerfuck. Dr. Fingerfuck. Yeah. Um, so uh, he, he pulled his pants down, saw the Hershey's Kisses tattoo, and he mm. said, oh, kisses are my favorite. I'd like to take a bite of that kiss right now. <laughs> Who's this doctor? Andy Dick? He is, he's, <laughs> he's the worst at flirting. I mean, it's he? like, oh my word. After he pulls your pants down, makes comment, I would have been like, all right, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. This is done. Yeah. You know? oh, having to get your fucking ass tattoo in front of the doctor. Yates um, sexually assaulted another patient after plunging several acupuncture needles into the man's back, completely incapacitating him. I did not know you that acupuncture had this power. I'm kind of stunned. I thought you, I thought you I just am. did it to like stop smoking or something. I thought it just kind of went into like the top layer of like your epi- epidermis. I didn't think he could be like, blah, right into your someone's back like that. Yeah. I mean, you could. It's kind of a- like it reminds me of Ivan Millet, you know, when he'd be like paralyzing them. But still keeping them alive so he could fuck around with them. Yeah, but did he do it with acupuncture needles? No, he did it with knives. (laughs) (laughs) I just had no idea you could use acupuncture for date rape. It's a multifaceted technique. You know, you learn something new every day, David. The patient says, "I knew at this point I would not be able to defend myself if he did not stop because of the acupuncture needles in my back. I couldn't move. I was afraid." Mm -hmm that I might be raped at this point. Um, the doctor, while he had like, you know, d- d- immobilized him with the acupuncture needles, told him, and this guy's a church minister, actually, the, the, the veteran, the uh, victim here, church minister right. in West Virginia. The doctor started telling him that uh, he's been sexually, he was sexually abused for years as a child, which is just another weird thing. You don't want your doctor oversharing with you. You know, it's like, I'm immobilized. You're sticking needles in me. You got my fucking cock in your hand. It's like, I don't want to hear you tell me that you've been sexually abused as a child. Um, Yates also told some of his fellow doctors that he'd intentionally caused some of his patients to ejaculate during medical visits. So can you do that with acupuncture? Like, what, do you just shove a needle right through your bollocks? Apparently you can. Is that what makes you come? When just a people needle put right needles in my nuts. In ball. Well, I mean, I suppose you do have your ball sack tattooed. So, <laughs> did you come in your tattooed face when he was doing it? Don't have my Probably. nuts tattooed yet. Um, but that's what I wonder. It's like, I wonder. Maybe you can. I mean, I know you can immobilize some of the needles. So maybe if you just stuck like you in the right spot, to. you just instantly just. Oh, was that maybe when he was finger fucking Oh, you think it was like milking the pro- the milking the prostate? Yeah, yeah, he was milking them. God. Um, the doctor told another physician, you know, I'm not able to explore the things I'd like to, to do with some of these guys because I'm a married man, and my, my, my wife would never understand this. Yeah, it doesn't sound like you're very straight, mate. Well, just <laughs> I think your wife might understand that you're not straight. Well, just yeah. knock her out with some acupuncture needles and go hire a male prostitute. Could do that, yeah. You know, there's an mm-hmm. idea. But, like, what do you think his colleague was thinking? Like, uh, okay, so you, you make him ejaculate, and now you're saying that you can't do things because you're married. 
I would have been like... Your wife doesn't understand. I might report him. I might report him. Uh, he was forced to surrender his medical license as part of the plea agreement. And, uh, you know, his um, special agent here, um, Michael Kreisman, said, Yates committed hideous crimes in a hospital room, which should be a sanctuary for patients. The facts of this case are disgusting, and these patients and their families deserve better care. Yates's legal team feels the uh, sentencing was a bit harsh, and uh, they plan to move on to uh, uh, sentencing uh, sentence appeal in the coming weeks. He's a doctor of cum, just like I am. He's a, well, you're a cum scientist. I'm a cum scientist, but I'm also a doctor of cum. Are you still growing the cum mushrooms? Of course. Yeah. Cultivating, Forever. Cultivating I will never them. stop. We'll never <laughs> stop it. It's a lifelong hobby once you get into it. I think I the takeaway. I eat them every day for protein. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Makes sense. I think uh, I think the takeaway here is you should be very wary when you go to a chiropractor and he causes you to ejaculate. Like, don't go back because I don't think that's part of the treatment. It's just I don't know. Word of advice from me. Take yeah, it as if Doctor Fingerfuck is wanting to uh, see you, just decline. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, oh, you could go if you're into that type of thing. I suppose you could. I suppose you could. He's going to do very well for himself in jail. Yeah, actually, if you think about it, now he's going to get to do the things he wanted to do with guys. He's going to make guys you know? come. That's all he wanted all I along. So I don't really, think it, it this is, is a feel-good story. In the, in the end, it's like a happy ending. No pun intended. Hey, literally. <laughs> what do you got here for the second story? Now my second story occurs in Wales. So it's an ex-rugby player, 29, who stamped a pensioner, 76, to death after performing sex act on him in return for a bottle of vodka, is jailed for life for murder. Wow. So uh, he blew an old man for a bottle of vodka. Basically, yeah. This is a very classy story. Yeah. Very classy. <laughs> Lots of class acts in this story. So at the Swansea Crown Court, former Osprey's youth player, Tom Carney, 29, was ordered to spend at least 15 years and 10 days, random, behind bars for the murder of David Phillips, 76, on Valentine's Day in 2019. What a Valentine's Day. So romantic. Wow. It's kind of, you know, we're pretty close to Valentine's Day. It's kind of like we this are. week. and ne Well, next week's our Valentine's Day show. But mm. this is also kind of Valentine's Day related. Yeah. So Mr. Phillips' body was discovered in his home in the Kimla area of Neef on February 14th, 2019. And he had suffered injuries to his head and chest. Right, Wales, as much as I love Wales and I love the Welsh people, is a fucking shithole. There is no part of fucking Wales that is not a fucking shithole. So I have, don't even have to go to the... I think it was part of Tolbert, which is where all the actors come from. I think that's where um, Anthony Hopkins is from. Shithole. So wait, Wales? You're not even just saying like Cardiff is a shithole. It's like the whole region. Cardiff is a full shithole. You, you, you just like cut off Wales and set it sail into the ocean. It's so awful. <laughs> it's I a love blight, the Welsh accent. an old blighty. Yes, they don't have much money, but they have wonderful voices. Carney killed the pensioner by repeatedly stamping on his head in a violent rage, having earlier gone to the older man's flat to perform sexual favors in return for alcohol. Who has not done this? <laughs> he denied murder, but he admitted manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility. During the sentencing hearing, Judge Paul Thomas told Carney he had been effectively prostitutioning yourself 
for alcohol. But he said after getting his reward in the form of a bottle of vodka, Carney felt great self-disgust, which turned to rage against Mr. Phillips. I'm that ass- led to Carney. Sorry. Well, I'm assuming <laughs> that he wasn't getting Belvedere vodka. Uh, this is Tesco value <laughs> I don't vodka. I think this is Grey Goose. No, this is the t- the cheapest type of vodka and the type that makes you mental when you're drinking. It's so fucking cheap. It's like the charcoal filtered, like, uh, well, mm. we have it. It's called pop off here. Pop off. You're going to oh, pop, pop off. off when you drink pop off. Pop off for like a fifth of pop off is like, I don't know, $6. Not even. Yeah. It's probably like $5. I, I, because I'm obviously a classy chick, I can only drink top shelf level vodka, levels of vodka. I can't drink cheap shit because the next day i will be sick yeah but if i drink like top shelf i'm fine oh my god vodka hangovers are the worst hangovers really good vodka though i do enjoy same so this led to carney kicking his way back into the flat and launching a savage savage relentless and merciless attack upon his victim the judge rejected any notion that carney did not intend to kill mr phillips saying he only wanted to kill him he not only wanted to kill him, he wanted to make him suffer. Let me show a pic of this guy. So he's a, a rugby player. He's a big guy. An ex-rugby you know? player. Well, yeah. But still. Um, so let me see here. I'll show you a pic of this dude. It's a great picture, too. You can tell this is the one on his Tinder. <laughs> or his grinder. <laughs> Isn't that great? Ooh. Yeah, he's got like rose, uh, carnation wallpaper, and look at that hair. You could see he kind of. I'm mean, oh Welsh God. people chads. What a, what a cretin! <laughs> That's what a lot of people in Wales look like. Yeah, they look like this. What? What? What is that? Is he? No, he's got some jean shorts on. Oh my God! Look at, look at this picture of him. Oh, that's him getting arrested. It, it, but he's a big dude. But then look at the mm. <laughs> look at the cop. <laughs> she's she's... A, a Welsh mother. What are you trying to say about her? She's just doing her job. Is that a typical Welsh bird? Uh, you know Charlotte Church? I don't know. Not, nah. not ringing a bell. Is she well, attractive? She please fit? don't Catherine Zeta-Jones is Welsh. <laughs> she's like one of the most beautiful women ever. Huh. So... So wait, which of your ex-boyfriends does this guy look like? Do you think I would? I would rather (laughs) sew my vagina shut than let him go anywhere near it. Although, to be fair, he's blowing pensioners for vodka, so I think he wouldn't want to go near my vagina either. I think we're both in mutual unattractive to each other's own. So he said that the attack was one of, brutality and ferocity which saw the destruction of mr phillips face an attack on his genitals and the use of weapons not just shod feet but a heavy stereo and a stool god talk talk about a self-loathing homosexual i know man he like attacked his nuts like he attacked his genitals he went for the he was like dr fingerfuck yeah. first part of call. The court had previously heard from pathologist Richard Jones that Mr. Phillips had a grossly distorted skull. CT scans showed that there had been a shattering of the facial bones, which would have caused uncontrollable bleeding into the airwaves. Mr. Bleeding. Phillips totally also suffered a fracture to the spine, 27 rib fractures and bruisings to the genitals and pelvis area. He went right for the junk. Yeah, he was just like beating the crap out of his penis. 
God, so after sucking his cock, he goes to like destroying his cock. Yeah. I wonder how much time elapsed. Like he was obviously really guilty. He definitely was just like, I got shit vodka and I had to blow an old man. That's what happened here. Is that what you think was going on? Yeah, I think he like blew an old man because he's, mm. well, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much vodka costs in the UK. I'm about to tell you. <laughs> so the judge, they found Carney. He was hiding in a garden near the murder scene shortly after he'd killed the 76-year-old. The first officer to deal with him, South Wales Police PC Donald Burr, told the murder trial that Carney looked very frightened and he, he was in shock. Hmm. And this is when it all starts kicking off. Carney initially gave a false name to the police, claiming to be called Jeremy. 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 <laughs> Jeremy. I can't say it. <laughs> and he told officers someone had tried to rape him. So wait, wait, wait. He was, mm. he beats this old man, you know, yes. destroys his junk. And then he's hiding in the house or hiding in the mm. front yard? Hiding in a, a nearby garden. Why and wouldn't you run? By the way he looks, you're going to find him, aren't you? Yeah, look at this guy. He looks like a proper chav. Hey, it's not big brains time, is it? Yeah, but would <laughs> you just take off and go, I don't know, go hide somewhere? <laughs> like I wouldn't stay How? in the, the you know, in the front yard. The amount the of garden. fake tan on that man, he would glow <laughs> in the dark. He'd be so easy to find. After it was confirmed Mr. Phillips had died of his injuries, the defendant was arrested and transported to Swansea. Uh Central Police Station, that's the picture we saw. And this is where he turned his aggression on the officers. The 29-year-old refused to leave the police van until he'd been given a cigarette. And then he launched into a tirade of abuse directed at the officers, threatening to smack them and I'll fucking strangle you to death. Then he began shouting, I got fucking raped earlier and you are fucking standing up for him. I lost it a bit then. <laughs> Adding he was trying to rape me. And I am straight as fuck. <laughs> you know, that's the only way, as a straight man, it's the only way to really affirm uh, your heterosexuality. Oh, it's straight just, you up. Well, I, I usually, others. yeah, I usually go to like the front of my uh, my apartment building and just scream, usually at like 1 a.m. Like, I am straight as fuck. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just want everyone to know. Mm. Yeah, well, that's the only way you can do it. If yeah. not, you're not straight, you're gay. <laughs> So, well, there's question, you know, about your sexual orientation if you don't at least once a day scream it aloud, top of your lungs. Of course, I totally agree. So as he was shouting, I'm straight as fuck, <laughs> he was also screaming, I stamped on his head, I stamped on his fucking head. What a That's dick. how you prove how straight you are. Spotted an officer's face as well. Oh, officers weren't happy about that. A number of officers actually sustained injuries during this whole incident. So I can imagine they were all just swarming into his cell and he was just like popping them off while screaming about how straight he was. He's straighter than an arrow, <laughs> this man, D. He is probably the straightest man who has ever lived. He's very straight. You can tell He's by so the uh, straight by well, the picture. Well, you can tell by the picture, but you can also tell, like, you know, by that orange spray tan, you know? So. While he was in the police cell as well, he wouldn't let the officers put plastic bags over his hands, you know, because they wanted to preserve the forensic evidence under his fingernails. And he, the reason he didn't want this is because it would stop him from masturbating. <laughs> don't you, don't they want him not to masturbate in the prison cell? He is so straight <laughs> that he 
has to masturbate every 20 minutes over the thought of vaginas. That's Do you how think straight he's he is. Screaming, I'm straight as fuck while masturbating in a prison cell surrounded by men. I think that's exactly what he was doing. I've oh. definitely seen that porno on Pornhub. Well, that's one way definitely. to prove you're straight. So he was also repeating the claims that Mr. Phillips had tried to rate him, um, had tried to rate him. He, you know, he was given loads of like abuse to the officers. He was demanding food and he just wanted a hot chocolate too, probably with whipped cream and marshmallows. Well, can you get that in a UK prison? I don't think you can get the whipped cream or the marshmallows, but you probably can get a hot chocolate. It'd be one of the shitty ones out of a vending machine that, you know, you're an animal if you make hot chocolate with water. You're an absolute animal, and you I'm sending you to the gas chamber if you do that. I, I can't even believe you'd get anything. In the U.S., you're not getting anything. And and they're not giving rights, you shit. Isn't it? I think you'll get, like, you know, an orange. <laughs> an <laughs> Maybe orange, a very, just a ham sandwich. Because he's straight, he's just going to get a ham sandwich, which he's going to fuck because it looks like a vagina. Yeah, but I don't think they give you anything here. Well, Especially when you're in a holding cell. That and sucks. you're acting like a fucking asshole. But, you know, <laughs> there's another little twist to this story. So at the time of his death, Mr. Phillips was subject to a sexual harm prevention order because he had sexually assaulted a boy in Neath Town Centre in 2016. But his Whoa, history of sexual nonce. offending goes back 30 years. All right, I got a picture here of... Um, yeah. I got a picture here of Mr. Phillips, the nonce, buying probably the vodka. No way. Was this in the like CCTV in Tesco? I want to see what type of vodka <laughs> yeah, this is no, I think he, uh, so I can judge it. Is this a Tesco right here? Oh, it's hard to tell. Oh, my God. What an old nonce. That, this guy the... just gave scream old nonce. And the, he's wearing like a gold chain, too. And the rugby player totally sucked this guy's dick for some shitty Tesco vodka. Oh, I think that is a Tesco. I think that looks like a Tesco. I wonder what else. It looks like he's buying bin bags. How can you tell that it's a Tesco? Oh, maybe it isn't Tesco. No, that's a Tesco. I can tell by the way. No, it's an Asda. He's in an Asda buying Asda value. Well, can you Asda tell by savers. the linoleum of the floor or something? I can tell by the signs. He's in an Asda. Wow, he's in an Asda buying just shit vodka. He's like, I know this guy's going to suck my dick for this. Yeah, and then he's going to. Oh, God. Don't like looking at him. There he is. He's an aunt. A, a complete aunt. Um, so da uh, this man, Mr. David Phillips, was able to exploit his role as a sponsor with Alcohol Anonymous to get access to Carney. And the pair had actually met in an AA meeting in Neath. Whoa, so he was groomed. They met in an well, AA meeting and he groomed him. It's like, you know what? This guy is an incorrigible drunk. I'm going to mm. get my dick sucked for a bottle of Tesco vodka. That's how much he loves the vodka. So um, after the sentencing, Tom Carney admitted he was responsible for the death of David Phillips, but he denied any intention to kill him or cause him serious harm. However, the evidence of this shockingly violent attack suggests otherwise. Dude, you like stomped on the guy's genitals. And <laughs> like crushed his skull. Like flattened his skull. 27. 27 rib fractures. That's like his rib cage was like broken into. Yeah, God. It's horrible. So this guy got sentenced to life in prison? Yeah, he's away, man. No, 15, 15 years and 10 days. Still pretty harsh for a UK sentence. 
well, yeah, compared to our usual 10 days, governor, off you go. But you'd think that, like, he was offing a nonce. You'd think they'd give him, like, well, we're going to take a few years off for that. Get rid do of a nonce. Bit. Well, yeah, they did, because they could have given him a life sentence. Um, did they even do what's years. a life sentence in the UK? Oh, it's 30 years? years. Yeah. Oh, all right. So he got the uh, the mitigating circumstances of killing a nonce. He did. <laughs> People, send your story to Podcast at gmail.com. We have some phone calls coming up next, 323-522-4032. Before we get to that, here's a word from Adam and Eve. Free stuff is the best, but free stuff that will ignite your Valentine's Day is even better. Check this out. When you go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item, you will get it at 50% off. That's amazing by itself. But here's where they load on the free stuff. When you enter my exclusive code at checkout diddle, not only do you get 50% off one item, you'll also get 10 tantalizing free items. First, for your viewing pleasure, six free movies. Next, a free mystery pack that includes an item for him, a special toy for her, and something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus, free shipping. Now that's a lot of free Valentine's stuff. So head on over to adamandeve.com and be sure to use code DIDDLE. Again, that's D-I-D-D-L-E. So we got a few phone calls to get to, 323-522-4032. Recently, I was kind of disappointed with the calls we got. Um, A lot of them, well, we got a couple calls that were like, started off really good, and then the reception just dies, and you can kind of hardly hear the person. So mm-hmm. the people that called in where you're having dodgy reception you should fucking call back because it's like we can't play the call. It's like basically just a waste of call. But people should be calling 323-522-4032 because you can hear my special new message I made. I was inspired Ooh. when Jizzy Jake was bitching about it. I made a new message. It took me a long yeah. time. Like, uh, you know, it reminded me of back, you're probably too young for this, but back in the 90s, you know, I had an answering machine. Yeah, you and, know uh, I was alive in the nineties, do you? Yeah, but you was, know did I you... also had an answering machine in the nineties. Would your was your family like really particular about playing the message on the answering machine, or did you just say fuck it and just be like, "Oh no, my dad, message. my dad's my dad stayed on top of that. It was my dad's voice." Oh, we always Who like, knows? well, the rabbi used to do his own one, but when I was like an adult and I had my own answering machine, I put a lot of stock into it. I would do. Or did you do one of the singing ones or something? No, not like a singing one, but we'd like, you know, do sometimes movie scenes and Mm -hmm. reenact it. It kind of reminded me of that. So I I put a lot of creativity into making the goddamn fucking message for the Sick and Wrong Hotline. So why don't you go fucking call and I'd I'd appreciate it, all right? Just show me a little appreciation, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, Not to mention, if you got your uh, virginity, awkward virginity stories, got like maybe a week left for that. I think maybe get the, if you can get it in by next week. It's good. We'll play it. We get some good you ones. Win a prize. You will win a prize. Well, I have this whole box of dildos. It's kind of weird that I have that in my house because I'm thinking like if a girl comes over and they're like, "Why do you get a box of dildos?" And I have to like say, "Well, I host a podcast." Well, you, and... Um, I'm Doctor Fingerfuck. And she's uh. like, "Why are these covered in feces?" Well, I host a podcast. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, give us a call three two three five two two four zero three two. You can hear my new heartfelt message and you can uh, give us a good story with some good stories um all right the first one here this is a good one Anne from nevada you're the one who nice. uh, showed her tits to bob madigan a couple yeah, weeks ago Anne is my hero <laughs> here is I mean, Anne's 
virginity story. Awesome. Hi, Dee. Hi, Kate. It's Anne in Nevada. This is my um, virginity lost story. I I think it was the summer I turned 14 or 15, probably 15. God damn, isn't that young? That's how old I was when I lost my virginity. Sluts. Jesus. Yeah, me and Anne was sluts. No, that was a, that's the thing I always kind of envied about women. It's like, you guys could, you could lose your virginity at any age. Whereas like at 15, I would have loved, loved to have lost my virginity. That wasn't going to happen. <laughs> like I tried, mm-hmm. you know, it was so awkward. There's no way. It's awkward for everyone losing their virginity. Yeah. Nobody but I ever think... goes, that great experience I had when I lost my virginity. <laughs> <laughs> no one ever said It was that. beautiful. Yeah. The candles, the Enya, the whole scene. <laughs> Um, it was a warm summer night. It was like probably one o'clock in the morning and we were hanging out at, um, God, if it's Bob Madigan, I'm going to, I was thinking inside my head that (laughs) I had my plot twist. It's Bob Madigan. He's like, I'm Bob (laughs) Jerry. I don't know about that. That'd be weird. Middle of a soccer field, drinking Mickey's big mouth malt liquor. And the guy was probably a couple years older than me. And he asked me to. Suck his dick like my favorite root beer popsicle. So that happened. <laughs> does that I like work? It. Does that what happened with you? Is it is that uh, the guy that you lost your virginity to? How old was he? Mm-hmm. Like fifty eight. Um, he was nineteen slash twenty. Oh wow! And you were only what thirteen, twelve? Yeah, fifteen. Fifteen. Nonsery. Yeah, that is a bit of nonsery there. Mm-hmm. Did you have to? Isn't sixteen the age of consent? 16 is the age of consent. I was a bad girl. Hmm. So Diddy uh, was like, you know, suck my dick, like a Yorkie bar or something. Like, what did you say? We were, we were going out. We, oh, you know, okay. I was so... cause, because, because I am a good girl, David. Where I was completely inexperienced. I'd only ever snogged boys in back alleys before <laughs> I got with him. So it went from like, I learned, I did everything for the first time with him. So, although. He didn't know where my clit was. And you would think at the age of 20, he would. Well, a lot of men at my age don't know where the clit is. <laughs> <you know? laughs> and then after that, we had sex. We were laying in the middle of the field. He was having a cigarette. And then the sprinklers came on, got us soaking wet, and we had to run home. So that's that. Keep it sickering on. Bye. Oh, it's like a film. It's like yeah, like a Richard Linklater film. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like a like Daisy Confused or something. That's what I was thinking. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah, I like Thank that. Thank you, Anne. It's very that wholesome. Wasn't that wholesome? Yeah. Yeah, it was. That's how everyone's first time should be. It should just be with a guy who smokes cigarettes a bit older than you, who gets you drunk and tells you to suck my cock. <laughs> like it's a popsicle. <laughs> I keep getting older. Girls stay the same age. Same age. <laughs> like one of those type of guys? In. Yeah, why not? <laughs> That's what they're there for. All right. Uh, thank you, Anne, for that. I'm glad it wasn't Bob Madigan. Because that would have been weird. Me too. I wonder if Bob Madigan, how many girls Virginity Bob Madigan took? None. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they're still in therapy. Um, all right. Th- let's see what happens here with this next guy. There's a guy here who lost his virginity. The Twisted Fire Starter called in. It's Ooh. a little longer than I normally play, but since it's kind of a special segment. Mm-hmm. Yo, 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 yo. It's the Twisted Fire Starter speaking. 
Um, I, I, I initially sent this in as an email, but D, you, you asked me to record it on MP3, so this is this is this is me recording it on MP3. Yeah, because you sent in like a three-page fucking email as if I'm going to read that whole thing. And, you know, I find it really funny with a lot of people. Well, mainly because you're in the UK, so it's like you don't want to call the hotline because it costs money. Um, so they send we're in this like... We're going to look into setting that up, though, aren't we? Setting up a Google over here. So oh, yeah, we're planning on setting Google. Uh, Kate's going to set voice up a Google man. Voice. Um, yeah. so, you, so you can call that For the number. Euro set. Yeah. Well, I mean, people also call uh, or send a message via Facebook. You can send a voice message on you Facebook, can. too. To, to me, all day. But I'm not going to fucking read a three-page email on the show. So I usually write back being like, call this one in. Mm-hmm. But he sent an MP3. Uh, I don't really understand the distinction, but I, I can only assume you, you've got some sort of fetish for the voice of a boy from the West Country. No, it's because I don't want to fucking read your goddamn email. <laughs> but I also have a fetish Stop for the voice of the West it. Country. Yes, yeah, there you go. Just admit it. What I've learned from this episode is you should admit your fetishes. Yeah, as as forbidden as they are. This is this is me losing my virginity. Uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read the the transcript of um, the email I sent you. Here it is. When I was 16 years old, I joined the army and went straight to AFC Harrogate for basic training. All of my dreams of the valor and heroism of British soldiers were shattered on the first day when I saw the scum that I would be training with. Is that is that true? Like, do uh, is it mostly just scum that joins the army? Oh yeah, squaddies. Totally. Squaddies. Yeah, they're a different breed, man. I the only sexually transmitted disease. Actually, no, I caught it off somebody in the Navy. So, <laughs> Wait, was sorry, say, squaddies in the Navy? <laughs> no, they're different. The Navy is like, it's like squaddies are the lowest, then it's your Navy, and then it's your RAF. So, what's, the, what's the RAF? Oh, Air Force. Air Force. Air Force, yeah. all right, all right. Mm-hmm. The majority, they, 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 they were like, like real fucking dickheads, like real, like I, 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 I was like from the, the, the wrestling me, me and my friends were like the losers that would wrestle behind the art block at lunchtime. I, I, I couldn't even believe the, the, the types of cunts I was working with when I got to the <laughs> army. But anyway, uh, yeah. the, the majority were thugs from the inner cities of Britain, and a couple were even drug dealers before they joined up. You know, it's... <laughs> How old are you when you become a squatty? Well, he joined when he was 16. You can join the army at 16. Okay, that explains it, because he sent a picture along with this call. And he's just and so I'm, young. I'm looking at him, like, God, you look like a child. Well, yeah, he is 16. I mean, I, I guess I didn't realize, because in the U.S. Baby's going to war. Well, in the U.S., yeah. you have to be at least 18. But usually, mm-hmm. the way it works here is uh, they come and they try to recruit you when you're in high school. But it's the kids that, like, obviously could never go to college. You know, right. it's like, and they have no other alternative. It's like, well, fuck, I guess I could be a loser and stay at home, but my parents are about to kick me out, so the only thing I can do is join the Army. And, you know, sometimes it actually works out really well for those kids. because so It does, yeah, and also don't forget, it pays you a wage, and you get a pension from that as well. And you get free, uh, be... free college. So a lot yeah. of the kids, it actually works out, but then some of them, it doesn't work out at all. Mm-hmm. I've known several that got dishonorably discharged for dealing meth. Yeah. Uh, one of them was in uh, the Marines, 
and he ended up having to go to military prison for a couple of years. And there was oh, a guy fuck. that they called the Ether Bunny that would just sneak up behind you and just <laughs> ether you out and just fucking rape you. I want that guy on my team if I go to war. The I Ether Bunny. Ether, I want the Ether Bunny and I want Dr. Fingerfuck <laughs> as my two like Ether special. Bunny and Dr. Fingerfuck. Yeah, I'm building an army, D. It's a couple guys that hang out with Jizzy Jake. He's not in my army. Context. <laughs> I'm from a middle. I'm from a middle class family in North Devon, and was so sheltered that I didn't even understand the concept of regional accents. Aww. Additionally, I was very underdeveloped at this time and physically resembled someone closer to the age of twelve. My voice. <laughs> I'm not shitting you. I saw this picture. Um, I was like, he looks like the kid from Gummo. He's so I young. would have bullied him in army too. <laughs> yeah. Did you have pubic hair at that point, Twisted Firestarter? I'd be if I was to conjecture. Are you asking a sixteen-year-old boy if he had pubic hair? If you see this picture, I'll show. I'm going to forward you you the picture. Are you asking an underage boy if he has pubic (laughs) hair? Yeah, I'm just saying. He says he like you know was very young, you know, very um, you know, youthful looking. Mm. I bet you, like, if I send you this picture, you're going to think like, "Wow, you look like you're like fucking eleven." I'm sure he was pubic. I'm sure he was. <laughs> well, you've experienced in that area. Didn't even begin to break until I was 17. Very embarrassing. They they, they also made me you know, like we, we also had a lesson on how to shower, at, at, like within the in the first week, oh, no. and like the full screw who was there, like he, he he was there showing us how to shower, and pulling back his foreskin and stuff. It was horrible. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I want that job. <laughs> is, is, that, is that what like most British headmasters have to do? I think I'd be really good at showing boys how to wash their dicks. <laughs> you probably would be, actually. I have a lot of experience with the old foreskin. Like, I, I think I'd be very good at it. I'd be firm. You're fair. no stranger to a foreskin. Put it that way. <laughs> now, now, if the target on my back wasn't already big enough... You can add to that the fact that I was a devout Christian oh and didn't word. believe in sex before marriage. I was <laughs> relentlessly mocked for this. <laughs> no, it's like this is why would you join the army? Jesus. He must have had no other so, alternative. So sheltered. Yeah. Joining the army is probably the best thing for somebody who's really sheltered. I well, you do get I mean, oftentimes you get to see the world, you know. You'll get to see the world and you're gonna meet so many people that you never would have met otherwise. Yeah, I mean, what else would his life have been mm-hmm. if he didn't do it? But I just wonder, like... Oh, I would have mocked him. <laughs> <laughs> Until they broke me. I renounced all my beliefs and allowed my comrades to take me to a brothel to lose my virginity. <laughs> nice! <laughs> the entire experience was utterly terrifying. The brothel was called Secrets, right? <laughs> and was located on a council estate in the middle of Leeds. Could you no, imagine? Leads. Oh my god, I can imagine what she looks like. Yeah, could yeah. you imagine what this? I mean, I guess Leeds isn't the north, right? So it's not northern mm-hmm. slag, but a Leeds slag. A Leeds prostitute. <laughs> like this is not. It's going to be like looking like someone's mum that he's about to show. <laughs> but I imagine she could be quite sweet about the whole situation. Prostitutes maybe like guide him through it. You know, I exactly. would. I do wonder what they think about when when you when you uh, 
you know, a virgin comes. Like, do you think they're like, fuck, it's a fucking, a fucking virgin? No, I think they will probably be sweeter with the virgins than they would be with the regular clients. Didn't uh, Russell Brand, I remember, I think, I don't know if it was on his radio show or something, he was saying that when he lost his virginity, it was like a Thai hooker and his dad took him there. And it's like, it's time. It's just time, son. Like, it's time. I'm surprised For that didn't Thai happen. Thai hooker. Yeah. I'm just surprised I didn't have a Twisted Firestarter. Like, your dad was like, you know, it's time. You got to become a man. He's from a Christian Let's household. Oh, yeah, I guess he he's probably Christian. didn't even know that hookers, other than the one who was washing Jesus' feet, existed. I just think it's hilarious. It's like he was in the army for a while, like a month. He's like, all right, yeah, fuck it. I'm a Satanist and let's go fuck a whore. Imagine writing that letter back to your parents <laughs> in a month. Dear mommy and daddy, <laughs> fuck the church. I'm never coming home. And I fucked a prostitute in Leeds. Bye. <laughs> I met a really nice lady. She said she's going to give me a blow job. I'm really looking forward to having a job, make some extra money. <laughs> Upon entering, I walked past a massive pimp on the door who eyeballed me the whole time I was there. The whore I fucked was an attractive Eastern European oh. and actually a very pleasant person. But I have to say that I didn't particularly enjoy my time with her. It was a struggle just to maintain an erection and I didn't even finish. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if this has like affected me in later life, but I, I, I still struggle to maintain erections. With women, I think I've just got low self-esteem or something. Uh, despite all the poor twisted fire starter here, there's this whole scenario of losing his his virginity to a whore is brought on adult impotence. Yeah, he's got um ED. Yeah. You Shit. need some Ed's meds, like Steel takes. Let's go get some yeah. Ed's meds. You should message Steel and talk about your penises together. I think Steel you know, would appreciate this. I think, you know, this this kind of inspires me. I think we should get Steel on here as a counselor for some people. What, and we'll create a whole ED community, and Steel can be their king? <laughs> for all the men who have erectile dysfunction, you can ask Steel, like, how do you cope? And it's almost like an AA group, but for ED, like an ED group. <laughs> yeah. The Reverend John Steele at the helm. My name is Twisted Firestarter, and I have erectile dysfunction. <laughs> Steele's like, that's money. <laughs> <laughs> I walked out that day with my head held high, thinking, I am now a man, and my peers will now accept me. Little did nope. I know that I would spend <laughs> yeah. the rest of my time in basic training being relentlessly mocked for losing oh. my virginity to a prostitute. <laughs> And not just what? basic training, my whole fucking army career. They, I, they, that followed me throughout my whole career, and I, I, I was, they just took the piss out of me for it. That's uh, so funny. I also lost my anal virginity to a broom handle whilst in training, although not by choice. <laughs> Jesus. But that's a different story for a different therapist. So that's Twisted Firestarter's story on how he lost his virginity. All the best for the future. All the best. Well done, Kate. Loving your shit. Uh, keep it Thanks, going. Uh, uh, tw twisted fast starter. <laughs> right. I want. Whoa. I want him to ring in his um about the how these fucking squaddies raped him. But yeah, I love <laughs> that. That is that is such. That's British banter for you, where it's like, come on, mate, we're going to take you to a prosy. And then the second you do it, it's like, ah, -ha. <laughs> <laughs> 
is and then they just nothing, razz you the rest of your fucking career. Nothing personifies British banter better than that. And being like, we'll never let you forget this. <laughs> oh, man. And then on top of that, they, they rape him with a fucking broom handle. Yeah, ringing that story. <laughs> Don't yeah. Hear that. Good oh, God. I'm sorry you have ED, though. It must be the pressure thing, because sometimes, like, you know, I always think, especially when you first get into relationships with people, the sex is, you know, takes a while to warm up. Well, yeah, because you're getting so, to know the person. Yeah, and to know the person. So it could just be, don't put pressure on yourself, mate. Yeah, just get a smaller broom handle. Just get a smaller broom handle. You <laughs> that's all, enjoy that's that all you need. Wow, yeah. well, thank you there, Twisted Firestarter. God. What a great story. That's a great, that is a great yeah. story. That might be one of the best losing virginity stories i've ever heard it yeah. is definitely in the running all right next one we have here is a psychopathia sexualis calls in with her losing virginity story with her lovely voice hello d hello kate i wanted to tell you the story of losing my virginity i don't think it's the most embarrassing story but it's it, it's up there in the um i wouldn't do it now category Ooh. So I had a I had a crush on this boy at my school. Um, his surname was Clench, which is very funny. Um, he was like six foot three. He had long, Ooh. gold and curly hair, and he was a leftist. And he wore a big Russian army coat and these big boots. And I was enamored. So he was a couple of years yeah. older than me. So I thought, oh, I'll invite him to a party um, at my friend's house, which was sort of like her mum went away every weekend, so we just hung out at. Um, Sarah's house and, and got fucked up pretty much every weekend so I invited Matt under the guise of well I want to spend time with you but you're 18 so you can buy us booze and he did um, Wait, you can buy booze at 18 over there? yeah you know that what the fuck you can lose your virginity you can have sex with a 16 year old and you can 16. buy booze at 18 yeah 16 is the age um of consent over here and 18 is how every 16 year old can buy booze at least you could when i was 16 God, i was no. buying booze then i'm regretting throwing your tea in the fucking harbor kicking you out of the country yeah i told you mate you told you you'd regret that <laughs> day did it when i was on the boat coming back to britain i was like yeah. you're gonna forget Gonna regret this. Gonna regret can't this. have banter. You can't have tea. <laughs> Drinking vodka, but not good vodka. Um, Glenn's vodka, which Ew. is one step above antifreeze. I'm fairly sure. It I is. I wonder if that's what the rugby player got. So All like, my Polish friends drink, drink Glenn's vodka because it's Glenn's just cheap vodka. and it gets you fucked up. But it's rank. It's, it's one of the vodkas that'll make you sick the next day, oh. definitely. But I've been drinking for a couple of years. Um, Started drinking at 14, so I was 16 now. And so we get drunk. I'm flirting so hard. I'm sure it was embarrassing to witness, but I felt like a fox. Um, I absolutely wasn't because I was 16 <laughs> and incredibly awkward. And then for some reason, everyone else went upstairs. I think they went up to smoke some pot or something, and me and mm-hmm. Mr. Clench, I'll call him, <laughs> stayed downstairs. It's like a Bond villain, Mr. Clench. Mr. And I've got something you can clench (laughs) on Sarah's living room floor. But because we were scared people would walk in on us, we kept all our clothes on, which meant I lost my virginity wearing a Jaws t shirt that said, We're going to need a bigger boat. And he didn't even take his coat off. (laughs) 
So she goes back to like a fucking Russian, golden haired Russian guy in a Jaws t shirt. I like it. You're gonna need a bigger film, boat. Yeah, no, that is a great fucking movie. And yeah, one of the best. Like, one of the best. Representing it for the losing yeah. of your virginity, I like it. That's a good shirt to wear for that. I can't remember what I was wearing. I was half dressed because the, I expected him for some reason to like strip me naked, and he never did. So I lost my. You just virginity. pull your knickers down and just get to get to. He work. basically did. Yeah, I lost my virginity wearing a cradle of filth T-shirt that said <laughs> "cunt" on the back. <laughs> Somehow very fitting. Uh, yeah. it, it's my personality in a t-shirt. Yeah, the time. I think that works. Mm. I remember it being particularly eventful. I think I thought, is this all? Is this all there is? Might have been the realization <laughs> that I had. Yeah, that's pretty much every woman I've ever had sex with, all right? Yay! <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm in my 40s. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm sure it was a good time. Um, I do remember not realizing that cum came back out. I don't know where I thought it was going to go once someone comes in you, but I didn't think it would mm. dribble out and ruin my underwear. And wow, I'm surprised this guy came, came inside in of her. Yeah. yeah. I, when I was that age, well, I, I guess I wasn't that young, but when I was, I think I lost my virginity at 17. Yeah, 17, right, yeah. Before I, right before I turned 18. Um, I was so nervous about getting a girl pregnant. Holy shit, they indoctrinated us with that fear. There was no oh, way, yeah. no way I would have ever came inside any, any girl. There's no way. He had a condom on the guy I lost origin to. It's very big, like, you wear a condom. You know, the, the girl that I lost my virginity to was just like, you are wearing a condom, and I'm being very careful. And it was just like, but I, at the same time, was... You know, so freaked out about having a kid. Holy shit! <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, oh my god! Pregnant. Shit! <laughs> I get. I don't want to be a dad. I'm only seventeen. Yeah. I'm only seventeen. <laughs> god damn it! <laughs> but yeah, I really have pathological fear. That's why I'm surprised that this guy's just nonchalantly like, "Oh fuck it." Oh fucking coming here. But maybe it's because he was also inexperienced. Oh, that that can be too. Just didn't realize. <laughs> yeah. It's just a little embarrassing thing that no one teaches you if you're stupid. Um. So that's the story of losing my virginity. Uh, funny enough, the crush I had on him completely disappeared after that. I felt like that I'd happens. defeated a boss of being a teenager. Had a crush? Squashed it, mate. Anyway, thanks for listening. Keep it sick and keep it wrong. <laughs> that nice. is kind of the motto of being a teenager. Had a crush? Squashed it, Squashed mate. Squashed it. Yeah. yeah, sometimes that happens as well in adulthood. You'll fancy somebody and then you just like shag them and you're like, oh no, I do not fancy you at all now. Well, That's shit sex, any... too, you know? Shit sex, definitely. Once you get you intimate with somebody, it really reveals a lot of things you never would know otherwise, you know? That's yeah, why, true. like, I always found it a bad idea to really fuck your friends, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, when you're really good friends with someone, because it's like, it just adds another dimension of complexity to it. That, I mean, I How don't many know. of your male friends were you fucking? Not male you and friends. Kessler. Not male friends. Oh, no, that's you and Kessler. So. <laughs> Either way. No, I'm saying female friends. But yes, I know what some, you mean. Sometimes, though, like, uh, you know, there's sexual tension with a male-female uh, friendship. You just fuck, get out of the way, and you realize, yeah, this is why, yeah, we, should be, this is why we should be friends, because you suck. <laughs> and, yeah, and, yeah. Like, fucking get me off. That's, that's happened before, too. Yeah, that's happened you to know? me as well. Definitely has. 
Wow, that's a, that's a good round. Good round of awkward stories there. Yeah, I there. enjoyed all of them. Although I think Anne's wasn't that awkward. Anne's was kind of like nostalgic. Anne's was cute. It's nostalgic, and like, yeah. yeah. And I like um, Psychopathia because that's just more probably a traditional. Lots of people will have felt that way. Yeah, like just kind of being me. disappointed, being like, eh, mm -hmm. yeah, I really built this up. Whereas like Twisted Firestarter, that's the only one I'd ever want to relive and experience for myself. That was an amazing. <laughs> so what are we saying that he's the winner from this round and the next round of phone calls has to has to be against Twisted Firestarter now? We're holding that as the winner. It's definitely so the front runner. Although I yeah. gotta say, we got some good ones for next week. I mean, I'm, that, that I'm um, going to play for next week. And if we get yeah. some, you know, by ne by uh, the next show, if you call 323-522-4032, you'll be in the running. And we'll, um, we'll slowly tell our virginity stories. Because what actually happened to the guy I lost some virginity to is better. I, I, you know, I, I was going to wait till we're done. And then, although mm. I don't, I don't think my story trumps uh, Twisted Firestarters, but it is good. It is good. Yeah. Um, Mine's so, a bit sordid. Ooh, not yeah. surprised. Have to bring that up. <laughs> um, people, yeah, call Signal Hotline three two three five two two four zero three two. Check out my uh, my, my heartfelt new message. Um, also, the Sickerong uh, Reddit page. God, there's over four hundred people on there now. It's growing. Four hundred sickos. Four hundred sickos, depraved individuals. Seriously, um, some fucked up shit on there. Uh, did I love you your see, memes, guys. Did you see that video someone posted that squirter? Yeah. <laughs> it's like women. Like, seriously, I think it's kind of the theme of the show with the, you know, like uh, Ilsa Coke and Irma Grazier. Mm -mm. It's like women can be so cruel. This fucker, this guy, he just wants to play video games. He's he sitting just there wants playing to play Xbox. Yeah, yeah, he's like sitting there playing, playing and then games. And he's got a. He's got, he's got a cruel, face full of fish, dude. Yeah, he's got this cruel woman just spraying Clamato all over him. Just, just like from like three feet away, just spraying it. Yeah, go check it out. It's disgusting. It's on the Reddit page, yeah. Yeah, r slash sick and wrong podcast, no spaces. It's going to change your perspective on life going to that page. Also, uh, thank you, everybody, for signing up on the Patreon. There's been a lot of people going on the Patreon now. Well, the fact of the matter is we're doing a lot more on Patreon than we've ever mm -hmm. done before. And um, I mean, I was actually bitching about it the other day. I was like, God, it's fucking a lot. We're doing so much on Patreon. It's like taking time out of my personal my personal D time, you know? <laughs> so what, your Torah reading time is taking time away from that, is it? Well, that and watching uh, Nazi exploitation porn films. Do you know what? I've gotten um, through this whole episode without once mentioning that you're Jewish till then. That's yeah, great. I'm actually kind of surprised. I'm proud of myself. And the overkill, you mentioned it within like the first, I don't know, one minute, yeah, probably do. maybe. Yeah. Anyway. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we're doing a lot on Patreon. <laughs> we're doing not only the extra phone calls, the extra story, um, outtakes. We're also doing a new segment called Sick and Wrong News. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, this week, we uh, kind of went into detail discussing the, uh, the recent uh, departure of Dustin Diamond, Lost Screech from Saved by the Bell. And the discussion really shifted. I mean, we were talking about his massive schlong because he had a big dick. And then somehow ended up into a discussion of Kate, like, teaching the listeners how to make a shit mattress of toilet paper. How to paper. lay a mattress. Yeah, in their toilet to catch your poo 
so it doesn't make any noise when you have to shit at a one night stand's house, like when you're at their house. If you have you... to, you just yeah, it's just polite to lay a mattress. Also, if you lay a mattress, it stops any splashback issues. I had never heard of this. So we go into a lot of detail about that because mm-hmm. that's the thing. You never know where a headline might lead on the news. <laughs> when you're free flying with the news, there's there's no boundaries, you know? So um and also the the uh Sigurong, uh overkill bonus episode is on Irma Gracia, the hyena of Auschwitz, Bitch of Belsen. Definitely the most sadistic guard you know, female guard to totally. ever work inside a Nazi concentration camp. And uh Kate Kate goes into like real graphic detail about this woman so um, about what she got up to yes yeah and i I even said it on this one so go check it out patreon.com slash sick and wrong and uh yeah find out what it's all about um also the uh t public store we do have a patreon only discount going on right now it's on the patreon page um you can uh, you can see the click on the link uh, but also, I think they're having a Valentine's Day sale as well. So just go to sickeronpodcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope. Go to the Tee Public store. And I think it's like 30 to 35% off everything right now. So great Valentine's Day gift. If you want to get laid, just go get your uh, girlfriend like a, one of the, um, the Sick and Wrong They Live tapestries. Mm-hmm. Cut Maybe. a hole in its eye. And then you can have sex through the hole. Like We like having sex through holes and sheets. Yes, you do. That's, that's what we do. That's a Jewish. So my that's people part of do. the Jewish problem. Yeah, hides mm-hmm. the ugly. Yeah. Yeah. So I lost my virginity. Um, <laughs> just go sickerongpodcast.com slash shop. I finally hear Sickerong Song of the Week. I was trying, like, I was, like, actually really trying to find, like, I want to find a song that fits with the theme, Forbidden Love, Dominatrixes, Ilsa She-Wolf. Couldn't think of a better song than Queen of Pain by The Cramps. Yeah. I'm going to dedicate that one to the bitch of Belson. It's from Big B from Badsville, the seventh studio album um, by the, uh, the the band The Cramps. came out in 1997. It's a great record, actually. Really good record. One of the best bands of all time. And not to mention, fairly topical, because it was uh, recently the death anniversary of Lux Interior this past February 4th. Um, yes. He died uh, 2009. February 4th, mm-hmm. 2009. Oh, did he die? Was it a heart attack? Cancer? Uh, yeah, he had like a heart. You know what they say about him? You know how pale he was and how he would always sweat? He's very pale and a sweaty man. That was actually part of the defect. And if they'd have, like, worked that out, like, when he was 20, he would have been fine. Oh, he would have lived? Well, really? Well, they could have treated him. He would have been able to take medication. But they didn't work that out until, basically, he died. Died very suddenly, very quickly. Rest in power there, Lux Interior. One of the Mm. best performers I've ever seen live. I, yeah. that, that was one thing, I mean, maybe because of my age, <laughs> but also living in San Francisco, they played every year Halloween at the uh, Fillmore. And it was, we went every year. It was like a thing that all the, the goss did. Also, yeah. uh, this month, uh, Poison Ivy is her birthday. It is. And February Brian 20th. Gregory's. And Brian Gregory, yeah. February 20th. Yeah, so it's, same it's, day. It's the Cramps 20th. Month. Oh, it is Cramps, Cramps month. month. So we're on the show here, That's Queen fun. of Pain by the Cramps. Uh, people, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with the Valentine's Day show, the VD show, Sick and Wrong VD, episode 778. Till then, take it sleazy.
These marks will be hard to explain. Queen of pain, queen of pain. Ooh, I love your metal bra that points. Queen of pain, queen of pain. Your block and tackle cock exploits. Queen of pain, queen of pain. Hey, don't dislocate that socket joint. That's gonna leave a weld. That's what good pussy sounds like. Lahmar? <laughs> he looks like... <laughs> he looks like fucking... He looks like Mr. Bean, that guy. Oh, are you going to send it to your mate? <laughs> <laughs> he totally looks like Lee. I'm going to end the show as the secret clip is going to be, that's what good pussy sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> Why not, eh? It's a classic Vine. I miss you, Vine.